Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell my soul's dancing <laughs> that's good um we also have bill graham to the break of dawn baby already <laughs> And uh, a guest who I hope will uh, respond by just saying "whoa" and "oh yeah" for five minutes straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dom Sinicola. <laughs> I was I was gonna say to the break of dawn, baby. I'll say the beginning of it. <laughs> I'll kill you all to the break of dawn. To the break of dawn, baby. <laughs> Hello, guys. Good. Thanks Lord. for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to uh, the listeners at home? Sure. Uh, my name is Dom Nicola, and uh, I'm the associate editor for the movie section at Paste Magazine. Uh, I'm actually leaving Paste at the end of the month, and uh, so then I will be nobody after that. So <laughs> you guys got me right. <laughs> you're right you're gonna be time. free. <laughs> you will you cease can, to exist. You can cheer. <laughs> no one has to listen to my opinions on movies anymore, starting October first. <laughs> Until then, though, I, everything you say. Yeah, no, yeah, you you definitely have to listen today. But okay, <laughs> I I just I I imagine what would happen if I just randomly stopped talking about movies, and I feel like that's one of those things where, like, you know, like there's those stupid Twitter things that are happening all the time now, where someone's like, if you had to like signal to people that you were kidnapped without saying, "Hey, I'm kidnapped," how would you do it? <laughs> I think mine would be like, Brian has gone 14 minutes without making a reference to a movie or talking about a movie. I fear, I fear for the worst for him. I mean, I won't even know what movies to watch anymore because I'll no longer be obligated to watch movies. So that's going to that's just going to be jealous. Can you just imagine if you just like sat down and were like, ah, man, you know what I really want to do? I want to watch Bad Times of the El Royale or like I want to rewatch Top Gun for the 20th time. Right. You know, because I don't have to r- review the movie that QAnon thinks is a pedophile theater. Or, like, I don't have to review this movie that 14 people will see. Right. You know? Oh, my God. Exactly. I, I was a music critic for a little while. And when I stopped being a music critic, um, the the sheer joy of being able to listen to any music that I wanted to listen to whenever I wanted to was was inexpressible. And I look forward to that with with movies. It's going to be great. I mean, like last, like, you know, th- this week we were doing a classic review. So, and that reviews of a uh, bad lieutenant port call new Orleans, yes. just get that out of the way. But then immediately after watching that movie, for whatever reason, I was just flicking around and I saw Harold and Kumar go to white castle is on Hulu. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, fuck it. Yeah, let's do that. And so I watched <laughs> that whole movie and I didn't feel any guilt and it was great. And I loved it. And, um, that's just like, it's a good way to be. I, I look forward to one day, entering civilian life again and not having to live the life of a film critic podcaster guy <laughs> civilian life oh man that's exactly what i was referring it to as as yeah. civilian life yeah 
I'm no longer going to be a warrior on the front lines of the culture wars. That's right. We're leaving the service, or I'm leaving the service. Your tour of duty. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get your DD-216, your... Is that even right? I don't know. What, wait, what is that? That's the, that's the form that you get when you're you're discharged from military service. Oh. Well, why yeah. the fuck do you know that? <laughs> Never, mind. Never mind. I don't know. I probably got it wrong. You know, so don't even... Oh, wait, no. 216 Again, Part 45, you, Certificate of Release of Discharge from Active Service. I wonder why we think you have a go-back. I'm sorry, Bill. You're the one with the <laughs> malfunctioning microphone now. What did you just say? Everybody else heard me. No. Uh, no, your your mic got really soft, uh, Bill. It was well, fine before. Okay. Well, uh, you hopefully go. you can hear this. Uh, yeah. You wonder why we think you have a go back. I have a, a plethora of trivial knowledge. <laughs> Michael and I once had an hour-long conversation about what kind of boat best symbolized the film stage. <laughs> yes. I think we what came up with, up with a two-masted schooner, <sighs> I think. Oh, like sophisticated, somewhat, but small, right? Small, efficient. maneuverable, like, you know, yeah. not like a frigate or a brigantine. Yeah, anyway, so it was, it was a whole conversation. I don't know why we had it. And Michael was horrified by my knowledge of boats. <laughs> Regular seaman. I think, I think we suggested too much utility to that boat, though. Like, it made us sound more useful. Yeah, than so that's we why we just never brought it up. Except for right now. <laughs> As another way to prove that I just know too many things. As I brought up uh, to Michael when we were talking after the um, Days of Heaven podcast, I, I said, if I had claimed to have once ridden the rails hobo style, would anyone have called me on it? Nope. Nope. Because that apparently is just on brand for me. As is having a go bag. Anyway, the reason we were talking about having a go bag we will get to in a bit let us begin, however, uh, with the usual stuff, uh, twitter.com slash filmstageshow, uh, Facebook, the Film Stage Show. Find us on iTunes, give us a comment rating, email us podcast at thefilmstage.com. You can also become a patron of this here podcast and uh, help to finance my insane lifestyle <laughs> of weird adventures and uh, completely useless knowledge. Again, that is patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. One dollar an episode gets us ac- gets you access to our Slack channel and uh, first crack at all of our raffles. So again, it's patreon.com slash the film stage show. We are also brought to you by Mubi. <clears throat> I want to read this, um, what they sent to me on the Edward Yang, uh, Ho Xiao Shen and New Taiwanese Cinema. <clears throat> Originating in the early 1980s, New Taiwanese Cinema rejected a vibrant energy and approach into the nation's cinematic landscape at a time of political transformation. Breaking conventions set by filmmaking of Hong Kong and Hollywood, the filmmakers of new Taiwanese cinema deployed a mode of filmmaking that used long and carefully staged takes to frame undramatic narrative threads. These atmospheric masterpieces immersed audiences into the psychology of their characters and therefore into the larger social context that they face. Filled with a deep humanism and resonant with the concerns of the nation, these films speak not just to the moment, but to the birth of a new cinema. So if you were wondering what was encompassed by the concept of new Taiwanese cinema, there you go. Presently, you can stream the terrorizers in our time and a time to live and a time to die. All of those are presently on Mubi. 
along with the recently added short by Madi Diop in my room from this year. So if you would like a free 30-day trial to see everything that Mubi has to offer, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. So that's that. Um, Quick quarantine update from everyone. Hooray. Let's see how we're all doing as the world slowly devolves into a chaos pit of hellfire. Michael Snydell, anything new in your life? Uh, you know what? Nothing broke th- this week, so I'm I'm gonna ca- count it as a, a victory. No AC problems, nothing like that. I did randomly find out that my sister is moving to Colorado, just on a whim. They decided, and that's where happening she, in like where does two she months. Live currently, she's in Chicago. Oh, I, uh, of course. Um, so is she just like trying to get away from like? society as it collapses because two months is like election time baby oh so my is she, god is she, think about that is she predicting the end of time i don't think she's predicting the end of time i think she just wants away from chicago and wants to find her own little piece of I was going to say paradise, but I was going to throw up saying that. Uh, yeah, she just wants out. <laughs> she's she's going to just kind of restart in the middle of quarantine. That's how it goes. I mean, people are doing that. This is the time to, to get away. Um, there's a, a lot of people moving right now. Yeah, there was a host on uh, the, the Slash Film cast who like, moved from New York City to Georgia. I mean, I don't get it. It's the middle of a quarantine, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do, baby. And uh, urban centers in the middle of a pandemic do not seem like the place to be. No. Speaking of urban centers, um, I live in the D.C. area. Everything's fine. I am super tired because my partner at the distillery has been on vacation for the last two weeks and I've been doing everything alone. That's that. I don't know. Everything else is fine. Uh, Bill Graham, how are you? I'm doing good, but uh, hilariously, I guess, um, my mom has tested positive for coronavirus. Why so, is that hilarious? Oh, shit. I'm uh, sorry, Bill. Because my, uh, I mean, she's fine. Um, she had mild, mild symptoms. Okay. Uh, her, I think she lost her sense of uh, smell. And so she went to the doctor and was like, hey, I have this thing going on and they were like okay let's get you tested and they got you tested and boom done okay anyways um the reason i'm laughing is because uh, stop from crying (laughs) no uh i do live very close to her so uh i definitely saw her within this time frame uh that she uh contracted coronavirus uh they just came back from a funeral over in florida and uh, her and her, I think, uh, second cousin or something like that. Um, anyways, my aunt, who has just basically not left her house this entire time, um, you know, uh, wears a mask constantly and is just like just being kind of herself in a way, but just heightened. Right. So she's she's a little paranoid already. Agoraphobic, so, paranoid, hypochondriac. Y- y- yes. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, it was her birthday like uh, two week or a week ago. 
And so my mom had her over for uh, boiled shrimp and like uh, fresh from, you know, the Florida coast and all this. And uh, oh, no. yeah, she, she gave it to her. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh. oh. Again, why I'm is this funny? Because <laughs> um, everybody's fine right now. Okay, um, so they've gotten through know, the it, worst of it and you know at least yes. that they're not going to die immediately. Yes. Um, okay. But that being said, I also heard about uh, the lady over in Bowling Green who uh, contracted coronavirus. She was like one of the front line, like people trying to help in Kentucky. Uh, if you don't know where Bowling Green is, uh, why should you necessarily? But yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so this lady contracted coronavirus in like May. She was like one of the front line helpers and like trying to get uh, Kentucky's like, you know, thing under, under control. Uh, she was fine in July and she just recently passed away. So, uh, all of, all of my laughter could quickly turn to something else, uh, very morbid, but, uh, for right now I am laughing because my poor aunt who just, just wanted everybody to wear a mask and like avoid, you know, (laughs) each other getting too close and my mom brings it to her and i'm just like i just i just can't help but kind of laugh at the situation i mean they do say that you're most likely to get it from a family member so yes well and and that's that's the thing when you go to a funeral or and i mean they, they visited family a couple of weeks ago to see the sick family member um and she hadn't she didn't pass away at that time um but yeah my mom was just like oh yeah there wasn't a lot of social distancing going on. Like nobody was wearing a mask, you know, and it's, it's one of those things I've taken a couple of family vacations. And as soon as we go outside of our bubble, right, we all mask up, but yeah, once we're inside the bubble, it's kind of like, eh, fuck it. And so probably not the best idea, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what's going on in my life. My, my, uh, if you, if you ever need to, uh, know somebody that knows somebody that has coronavirus, I, I I'll raise my hand now. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I see like three people regularly and two of them have had COVID and I haven't gotten it. So I don't know. Just dodging bullets like Neo. Um, speaking of horrifying situations that have a potential to get much worse, Dom, <laughs> How are things where you are? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I live in, in Portland, uh, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. Um, not only uh, have we had uh, protests that have gotten very violent and have sort of been something of the center of all of that, um, we have uh, a record... <laughs> Uh, once in a generation wildfires going on and one of these very large wildfires uh, is very close to the county that Portland is in Multnomah County and so the evacuation colors um, the sort of I guess the safest of the evacuation colors which is green uh, which means like you know get get ready get your get your go pack ready to go um, that is was was butting up well it still is butting up against Multnomah County uh, sort of right in the backyard of Portland and uh, so there's there's a there's a few days where we were kind of not sure if it was gonna the, the green zone was gonna start pushing into Portland and uh, I have a lot of friends I mean I kind of live on the outskirts of Portland I have a lot of friends who live on the outskirts of Portland because it's 
it's so affordable to do so. Uh, but those happen to be close to Clackamas County, which was half on fire. And so um, we feel uh, it looks like uh, we're not going to get any evacuation order. But um, so that's, you know, relatively refreshing or relieving, I guess. But uh, the air quality is classified as hazardous um you know it's like there's the the parts per million scale and portland mm-hmm. is right now over 500 it's like kind of over the scale <laughs> um Jesus. so the uh the, the air is uh i know you've probably seen a lot of pictures you know comparing it to blade runner 2049 because the air is yellow and you can barely see you know 100 feet in front of you so um that has been uh bad and not fun and it hurts to go outside and i think that um you know we were talking about how you know it's i'm used to being inside and being quarantined but um one of the great things about portland is that it's not you know it's an urban center but it's not super crowded and condensed and so you know i felt comfortable taking my dog on a walk and going outside i didn't feel uh you know, surrounded by people all the time. And now we can't even go outside and do that. And so, uh, it's just, this is it. You thought you could get used to the, the idea of quarantine, but that's just not the case anymore. I feel I've, I felt so stir crazy the past couple of days where we just have like nothing to do. Um, well, just, uh, keep an eye out for faceless nurses and pyramid heads with giant swords <laughs> staggering down the street. <laughs> Michael, Will are you do. okay? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, Dom, I'm realizing it's probably really hard to drive anywhere, even then with, uh, like, visibility is that bad, even when you're in a car as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. I I, I, I went in my car today, uh, and, um, you what know, it's... What headlight setting do you use? Is that yeah, like a fog situation? Yeah, pretty much, okay. yeah. Um, and you know, you, and people are pretty cautious, um, in general. Uh, but yeah, it's just the, it's the, the, the thing too, is that, you know, most people aren't prepared for poison to constantly very slowly seep into their house. And so, um, we're kind of just hoping that the weather changes soon because we're really starting to smell the smoke coming in. And so, uh, it's just kind of like, like we're not sure we can, we're we're okay right now, uh, and are are not feeling poisoned constantly. Um, we're battling like slight headaches, but you know, a few more days of this, and uh, I don't know. Uh, it'd be nice to say we could just leave and go somewhere for a few days to escape this, but um, there's really nowhere to go right now, <laughs> unless you're like driving out to like Montana, maybe. Oh that my is God. a bleak I'm surmise sorry. of your situation. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, on a lighter I'm, note, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> on a on a, on a lighter note, did you us. ever watch the uh, the TV show Stumptown starring Kobe Smulders? Uh, no, I saw I saw a bunch of previews. Um, it's just like that. Uh, what was that show with um, uh, Dwight from The Office? Uh, Rain Rain Wilson. He oh. did another. What's that? rake no rake was greg kinnear i'm pretty sure yeah rake was greg kinnear this was like it was like i it's i want to say it, was, Stuber, it had a name like Stuber. that yeah and he was just like some some cigar chomping portland detective but they didn't even film it in portland they film everything in in vancouver oh, yeah. uh and it's the same thing with with the kobe smolders i think they might have filmed like the the pilot in portland 
But I just I, I, I am against all of these uh, TV shows that want to take place in Portland and then fil- end up filming in like Vancouver or whatever. Portland has great uh, has uh, great um, uh, tax deductions. It's it's great for filming. Everyone should come and film in Portland. And if you're going to have a TV show that's about Portland and about how quirky it is and you have this, you know, quirky private investigator doing quirky crime stuff in like, a quirky car. In her quirky car, in her in our quirky city, you know that's just so quirky <laughs> they all just, the time. <laughs> I only ask because, like, I've never seen a TV show that takes place in a in a city where they use the nicknames of the city so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I was curious: do people just constantly walk around calling Portland Stumptown or Rip City? They do call it Rip City because that's attached to the Blazers. So, uh, you know. Okay. Well, people are pretty huge Blazers fans here, so they'll say Rip City. But uh, Stumptown, uh, the only time I've ever heard people refer to Stumptown is the actual coffee brand. The coffee place, um, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, otherwise, no, I guess. I mean, it's probably like, I haven't been in Chicago in a long time, Mike, but it's probably like people calling it Chi-Town. You're just like, oh, yeah. People don't yeah, actually call my... it that here. No, my brain's like, yeah, like tectonic plates. It just... It's scratching over each other when someone exactly. says that. Because I remember watching that show and I looked up the number of nicknames that Portland has, and it was <laughs> um, just like seeming, it just was a lot. And I was very confused, but they all have a backstory behind them. Uh, so, Wikipedia, yep. that anyone at home who's interested. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't take up the chance to like talk to someone from Portland and ask about that. Um, <laughs> yes. Sweet. Rip City kind of rolls. <laughs> Rip City is freaking awesome. Yeah. Is yeah, Rip City is great. Stumptown kind of sucks, but like the 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 yeah. name behind it, the reason behind it makes sense. Correct. I'm not getting into it. Um we got, we we have a movie we need to talk about. Okay. Um and that movie is The Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, it starts before it even starts. <laughs> oh, wait, wait! Everywhere before we get into it, the name of the Rain Wilson show that's not Rake is Backstrom. Backstrom, yes, that and was a how, bad show. How could it Backstrom not be bad. a hit with a name like Backstrom from it's the creator of Bones? It's based on a Danish show, is what it looks like. Yeah, which I'm. I just well, want they're to know all based how... on Danish shows. <laughs> right. I, kind of. How do you go from Denmark where you're like, what's the best analog for Denmark? Portland. It's like, you know, <laughs> like, there's trees. Like an up- dreary, <laughs> wet, like kind of always wet and dark yeah. and dreary. I get it. I mean, I don't know if Denmark's always I'm, wet. I'm not going to but... put that much effort into this. <laughs> I just like, pe- like people with beards and it rains a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Um. Anyway, so yeah, uh, the movie we're, wa- we're we're t- we're watching the movie that we're talking about is Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans, also known according to the title card of the film itself as the Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Whenever Herzog Original is talking title. about the main character, he always he never calls the character by Terrence or anything. It's always the Bad Lieutenant. That's amazing. <laughs> That is that is so Werner that it almost hurts me. Yeah, uh, it's like it, that's like the it, the funny thing is that it, that is as though he is making fun of his own movie. Oh, like, that's so. That's kind of what I want to talk about too. Uh, like, 
it's like yeah. if, you know it's like you're watching bad teacher and instead of even saying like <laughs> um cameron diaz or no name? i don't know the name no so i would just call her the bad teacher constantly <laughs> but for well, Werner herzog Sam. yeah it's a the constantly titular just, character <laughs> the titular bad lieutenant mm-hmm. uh, anyway uh so yeah we're here who, to talk who about, at some point is no longer a lieutenant he doesn't begin oh, as a right. lieutenant, but he spends most of the movie as a lieutenant. Uh, speaking of, by the way, because this is a classic episode, there's no spoiler section. It's pell-mell. It's a f- motherfucking melee. Um, so if you're spoiler-averse, I don't even know what to tell you. Uh, just goddamn deal with it, I guess. Um, this See the movie, fucking movie. Yeah. I, this, okay. This movie is available free everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, Michael Snydell erroneously reported that this was available on Netflix. It's not. That's literally the it's only place you watch. can't watch just it. Just Watch is, has not been the best lately. Yeah, it's available a lot of places, and I will say that it previously Wait, was just not. Just Watch is how, how I found out that it wasn't on Amazon. Netflix. You... Or Netflix, it's... yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. I w- I'll just say, anyone out there, who's if you're sitting in a car in traffic right now, and you're like, yeah, I wish I could watch Pat Lieutenant. It's free on YouTube. <laughs> you can there watch you it there. You can it's watch it. Online. It is. If well, if yeah, you pull up its IMDb page, uh, you can watch it free on IMDb TV, which yeah. I'm looking at an ad for right now. It's Look. like free on Tubi, on like Vudu, on all these yeah. four letter words that are just <laughs> like somehow a streaming service. IMDb. It's yep. free on yep. Glomby. I mean, like it's just. It's, <laughs> If you, if you, if you, did he? I don't know. <laughs> if you go to the website for Detroit-based watchmaker Shinola, I am oh, almost yeah. certain that if you click around long enough, you will be able to watch Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. On. <laughs> well, I mean, definitely, if you're listening to this podcast out loud, your phone's probably going to send you an ad for that. So, yeah, probably. Congratulations. All right, here we are. Uh, Let's play a little bit of the trailer. Who's that? Please, get me out of here. You want me to get wet on account of you? Hey, man, I got on Swiss cotton underpants. I'm gonna drown, sir. Come on, we'll get the time of death from autopsy. Please! Come on, man. He ain't worth it. You walk crazy. Come on. The good news, Terrence, is I'll okay you to return to full duty. The bad news is that you'll be experiencing moderate to severe back pain. All right, so that's the trailer for Bad Lieutenant Portocol, New Orleans. Um, This 2009 movie... Stars Nicolas Cage as the titular bad lieutenant. <laughs> it also uh, co-stars, I, I'm sure we will get into it, uh, Ava Mendez exhibit Val Kilmer. Uh, Farouz Balk is in there for a little bit. Jennifer Coolidge shows up. Brad Dorif is Shea in Wiggum. this. Yeah, Shay Wiggum. Uh, Michael Shannon. Michael oh, Shannon yeah. as Munt. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so we're going to talk about this movie. Um it's uh how do i describe this it's a a movie about a police lieutenant who is not on the up and up um in the city of new orleans uh the city i call him bad 
Yeah, he's pretty. He's not great. There's, we can at least say that. I think the movie leaves it ambiguous as to whether or not he should be called a bad lieutenant. <laughs> I apologize. I don't know what's wrong with me today. Um, so yeah, he's he's a not great lieutenant. Um, his home base is in uh, talking about cities with nicknames. Uh, the city that care forgot, Crescent City. It's Nolans, baby. Um, and uh, the movie just tracks him as he sort of attempts to solve a brutal homicide, but also just attempts to solve his own need for more cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Movie directed by Werner Herzog and uh, starring Nicolas Cage. So if that's not enough to sell you, I don't know what is. So we're here to talk about it. We'll begin with our guest. Dom, you wanted to talk about this. You super excited about it. So what are your, what are your basic thoughts on bad Lieutenant? Port of Call New Orleans. I just just want to say Dom has requested this for a long time. It just wasn't (laughs) widely available until now. So Dom has, this is, he's been passionate about this one for a long time. (laughs) In, you know, I, so first of all, I think it's an honor to be on a classics episode and have this enter the canon of classics. I fully stand behind that. Um, Yeah. Alongside John Q. This yeah, year. Uh, this is not as prestigious as you would hope. But it will I mean, let you first of all, any movie with Denzel in it deserves to be called a classic. And um, I'm just going to call that it's Cage Timber. So there you go. Yeah. Jesus Christ. We've got so, Denzebruary, Denztoberfest, and now we've got Cage Timber. <laughs> that, now that, talk about rolling off the tongue. There you go. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I... I mean, Werner Herzog is probably, uh, if I had to decide, um, which I won't, you know, soon, uh, is my favorite director. And I think that um, what what I realized watching it this time, which I've probably seen, this is probably like my sixth, sixth time seeing it, maybe. I don't know. I've lost count. But um, is that it's it's really, really funny. And Werner Herzog movies, while they're not they're not like super serious and dire um, they're just usually not really funny in kind of a laugh out loud kind of way. Um, I mean, you could argue that like a is funny and that Klaus Kinski is kind of just a funny person to watch, uh, if you don't think about his personal life. But I, I think that, um, watching it this time, it's like, it's, there's something that really is so appealing to me about Werner Herzog making what's not ostensibly a comedy but when you like think about it like a comedy it's really really funny and i think what that points to is that Werner herzog is kind of an asshole and he doesn't he doesn't um i think don't i don't think people really see him as an asshole because he makes these really sort of uh these very sincere movies about you know being Werner herzog and having that kind of perspective on the world but uh as I was watching this movie and as I was reading about it, um, I have this this book called uh, A Guide for the Perplexed, and it's conversations with Werner with Werner Herzog. And the, the great thing about this book is that he, it's 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 le- it's set up like a like an interview, but he what 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 the author points out in the um, in the foreword is that Herzog insisted on sort of editing the book with the author, so it's basically Herzog editing his own interview which really is kind of you know is kind of his his approach to documentaries and and the whole idea of you know trying to find something that's truer than truth and what's really funny is that i was reading about the parts where he talks about bad lieutenant 
and he and he's talking about uh, how much he didn't want this to be a remake. And, you know, he didn't write the script. And as far as he was concerned, the only thing that connected to Abel Ferrara's movie is the name. But he doesn't just stop there. He also has to say, I have never seen Abel Ferrara's movie. I to this day, I've never seen any of his work. I've met him and and he has to he has to mention he's like, I met him and we didn't have any alcohol because I know that Abel Ferrara has problems with alcohol. <laughs> and, and then and then he goes on to say, uh, you know, um, here, I, I, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to quote something because and I. I I might try to do the Werner Herzog voice. I was about to say, you're only allowed to do it if you do the Werner Herzog voice. I'm not, I'm not very good at it. Um, uh, I also think it's great that he refers to Nicholas Cage as Nicholas all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he says, uh, calling it a remake is like saying Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ is a remake of Pasolini's The Gospel According to St. Matthew, though practitioners of film studies will surely be ecstatic to find a reference or two in my film to Ferrara's. I call upon the pedantic theoreticians of cinema to chase after such things. Go for it, losers. I will say that was more Schwarzenegger than I was expecting. Sorry. But I love it. I love it regardless. Go for it, losers. Schwarzenegger voice. I used to be able to do a, a halfway passable Herzog Maybe I even did it on this podcast once, um, but I, 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 that was braver than I'll ever be. Um, so I think that like, so it's, it's like, yeah, he's just kind of being an asshole and he, and I think he kind of got off on the fact that, that Ferrara didn't want him to make this movie. And uh, also he, he, he talks about how he's, he's never done drugs before, except for one time when he accidentally got high and he didn't like it and how, so he couldn't. <laughs> He couldn't uh, he didn't understand um, he couldn't connect to any of the scenes in this movie with uh, Nicolas Cage and Ava Mendez doing drugs. And he took he actively took a lot of those scenes out. And he basically said, like, I don't know what it's like to be on drugs. The only thing that I know is how Nicolas Cage was acting when he pretended to do drugs. And it's like. And that's and and it's almost like not only is he like making a movie about drugs, but he refuses to understand what that's like. Uh, but also, it stands in direct contact contrast to Abel Ferrara's movie, which is obviously made by someone who knows exactly what it's like to be on drugs. <laughs> um, and so, I so I just think I, I just I I think this movie like shows such a different side of Herzog while still being so Herzogian. And I think it's really, really funny. I think that cages, um, this is like the beginning of, of like meme Nicholas cage. And I think that like what really stands out to me about this movie too, is that like, this is, I'm going to call it a masterpiece, but I think it's a masterpiece made by two guys who after this just became memes. And so this is like their last hurrah as like people to take seriously before culture sort of overtook their personas um you know because for nicholas cage after this it was like he made um like bangkok dangerous and the sorcerer's knowing. apprentice knowing <laughs> how, yeah like these movies how where dare you like, remind me that there exists a movie <laughs> that is titled bangkok dangerous <laughs> uh which is a very boring movie actually um but uh you know, it's like he he became like a, a kind of a joke after this. And um, this is like the first time that you see him where he's like trying to do something very different. And, you know, you can argue whether or not he's successful. But 
Um, after this, it's kind of all downhill in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I really love Mandy, but I think that like, you know, his career in general is kind of has become a joke. And I think that Herzog is after this, you know, like he's he's on like Parks and Rec and stuff like he's become kind of a meme after this. So, oh, yeah, he, um, he totally I mean, he just he was on um Rick and Morty, Parks and Rec. Right. He, he the Mandalorian, some... the last season of The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's crazy. There was another thing that I had in my brain that he did but now i can't even remember what it was oh i'm sorry <laughs> well all, all the fucking documentaries since then like he's i think he's made two or three feature films since since mm-hmm. this movie and most of it had you know all the rest have basically been shorts or documentaries or some other kind of shit so yeah salt and fire and queen of the desert and then family romance which <laughs> That's more complicated, whether you want to call that fiction or or, or not. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, and you know, like I really like family romance a lot, and and I know that uh, Mike, I know that you don't really, but um, I think that like that's probably the first successful, arguably fiction, film that he's done since Bad Lieutenant. I mean. Salt, uh, huh. Salt and Fire. Uh, I, I haven't seen Queen of the Desert, but Salt and Fire is really bad, and uh, um, I mean it's kind of hilariously bad in a lot of ways. And his and his documentaries are kind of hit or miss. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I just feel like this is like the last like time that just he. I mean, besides Family Romance, which I like a lot, the last time that he like that everything that is great about Werner Herzog and about working with a uh, an actor like. Nicholas Cage like it just it just sings in this movie I love it so much I am looking at the poster for Bangkok Dangerous and I am flabbergasted <laughs> by it I uh, just you know I just think that people should look this poster up and uh it's just like oh my god um <laughs> Bangkok Dangerous just just to kind of set the record straight uh came out before this so yeah oh yeah so, so did knowing before. N- yep. Knowing came out the same year, and then Next, yes. which is another one that I thought about, actually was uh, like two years before this. But so yeah, yeah, Cage is in a weird place at this point in his career. Yeah, he, th- this is this is when he's gone full Cage and been in Ghost Rider two years prior. So that's that's when everything kind of came full full circle for him, where like he famously is like a huge Ghost Rider fan. <laughs> And it got the star in the movie Ghost Rider as Johnny Blaze. And it's just like, yeah, I think after that, he was just like, fuck it. All right. <laughs> what was, I think there's some scattered. I, I would stand up for a few things. I think Joe, well, Joe. is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think his mom and dad performances is, is really good. And in, in the same way, his his Mandy performances is, is feels like a raw wound in a movie that's otherwise mm-hmm. so like slapstick. And then I uh, Colorado space, which we, we yeah. uh, reviewed earlier this year. I also thought he was really, I like really drive crazy. angry and kick ass. So I am looking I at his IMDb primal. and I don't recognize a lot of the names of these movies. Well, I think what's great about Nicholas Cage <laughs> is like, you know, like the, like I'm like, I'm looking at his, his, his filmography. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, and he makes like three movies a year, four movies a year. But like, you know, Rage is a movie that came out in 2014 and no one saw it at all. I think it was probably like DTV. But uh, 
that is that is like a per, it's like a perfect low rent Nicolas Cage performance where it doesn't make much sense. He's obviously playing like three different characters that he's cramming into one character. Um, and it's fun to watch. But, uh, you know, like another example is like Pay the Ghost, which is just like so boring. Um, I How can you make a movie with a title like Pay the Ghost and have it be boring? That's just <laughs> annoying you- as shit to me. You undersold how many movies he made. Uh, in 2016, he made five movies. In 2017, mm-hmm. he made six movies. Yeah, this this output is ridiculous. Like that is that is a movie every two months. Mm-hmm. That's that's absurd because you know that these things were not filming back to back. What do you think of Ghosts takes in trade? Uh, souls, obviously. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, Brian's stuck on this. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Nicholas Cage is crazy. I mean, like, there, there was a point where we said, like, we're going to talk about Bad Lieutenant Porter Call New Orleans, and I was like, yes, absolutely. And then I realized that that would mean we'd have to talk about Nicholas Cage. And how yes. can any mortal man hope to talk about Nicholas Cage? Full stop. <laughs> let alone to confine it to a two-hour podcast. I mean, it's. It's a uh, oh my god! It's insanity. Like ev- everything about this is just everything about him is crazy. It's it's hard to. Oh, he's also uh, Spider Man Noir in Spider Man Into the Spider. That's right. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. That's a good page. The, life, the life. Yeah. But that still very much I think falls into Dom's argument of a living being. Like he's very good in that, but he is very much like. What oh, he's playing a cage. Yeah, like what the fuck is Nicolas Cage doing here? Like, there's like a a uh, like WTF factor that seems like mm. ingrained into that casting. Well, he's he's his life is stunt casting now. Like, he, yeah. no matter yeah. what he's doing, even if it's a role that he's suited oh, for, did, he's did stunt casting. Everybody, did everybody see what he's like? His pre-production is right now. Untitled Joe Exotic project. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's going to play Joe Exotic, which is doing weird something cause... for Sono, which I'm really excited about. He's oh, also he on Sono. Yeah. Oh wow. He's, he's oh, also... oh, Why no, don't no, you no, play no, in Hell? Are Are you Tell saying you that that Untitled Joe Exotic project is Sono? Or no, 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 no. Okay, no. I was like, holy fuck! How did this? Happen? <laughs> well, spe- <laughs> speaking of crazy. speaking of ghosts, the the Sono movie is called Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Yes. Should have paid that fucking ghost. Now he's in debtor's jail. <laughs> Just like tax jail. <laughs> I would love bookie. I would love for a crazy auteur to like pick a shitty C movie Nicolas Cage thing and make a sequel to it. Um he's he's in something that I saw the other day, I think on I don't know, Prime or Hulu or something. It's called Primal. And I, I thought we were talking about this the I thought that was the the Joe Exotic one. It is not. It's just another movie with Nicolas Cage and big cats, and he's wearing a cowboy hat. I, I okay, Kevin Durant. So he is trying to. I, I will make this brief. He is a big game hunter who is trying to ship all of his big game back to the states from uh, a Central American country. Apologies to whatever Central American country. Uh, he, he has giant boa constrictors. He has a huge jaguar. He happens to be on the same ship where a serial killer terrorist 
interrogator is being extradited <laughs> back to the U.S. This is amazing, I and I need to watch this immediately. Okay, so this premise is amazing. Kevin Durand as the psychopath is quite good. Famke Jansen is, is in this? Famke Jansen. She's kind of boring in it, but... Uh, Oh, so yeah, you watched this? That premise is amazing. Oh, yeah. So she doesn't strangle anybody with her legs? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> but I'm just saying, so he escapes and lets all the animals go. And so it sounds like an amazing pre- It's It just ends up being good. But yes, I watched this earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, yes, that is the premise. <laughs> Interesting. So it's like snakes on a plane, but it's like animals on a boat. Yes, it's but there's like also the whole ass jungle on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, bad, bad lieutenant, Portocol New Orleans. Um, <laughs> look, we had to have our cage tangent. Like, you can't. Sure. It's not. You're not allowed to not. You can't just be like Nicholas Cage, consummate professional, guy who makes all the right choices. Moving on. <laughs> so and we let's, haven't even started <laughs> on this movie. <laughs> no, no, no. Tom, Tom, give his feelings on it. And then yeah, we yeah. got lost in Cageland um, because we didn't pay a ghost and we became prisoners of the ghost land. Um, so let's move on. Bill Graham, had you seen this movie before and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I had seen this movie before. Um, and the things that I remember about it was that Cage is just slightly a little off. Um, and I remember specifically like like very vividly i recalled the sequence where the iguanas are sitting on the table and he's like do y'all see these iguanas what the fuck are they doing on the table and yeah i forgot val kilmer was in this but yeah val kilmer's like those there's no iguanas there (laughs) it's just like and then my my question is so after after watching this again here's here's my question is Werner Herzog the one with the camera doing that? Or is he giving instructions to someone else to do the things with the camera that the camera does? In I, those that is such a strange moment in this film. The, the iguana moment during their stakeout. They, which We're, one? They, they actually, I, I know the answer to that question. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So there's a making of on my Blu-ray, uh, which it's, it's great. It's a really, it looks like it was made by like uh like a 10 year old or something that's like just like it's 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 a it's a bad making of but it's pretty um telling of what was going on and uh herzog says that he he had a it was a little um camera attached to the end of a fiber optic cable and he got it like so he sort of put it right below the iguana and uh over the course of trying to wrangle this scene um he got bit by an iguana and apparently it hurts quite a bit. Yeah, no, iguanas bite and it, it apparently sucks. Um, I had a friend who had an iguana. It did not get as big as the iguana in this movie or as big as iguanas can get. But uh, I was like, how's I really want an iguana? He's one like, of these, is, is this a bearded dragon? Is it? Is, okay, so that's the thing. One oh, of these no. is. Okay. So, all right. Yeah, I'm just going to say it now. The thing that has always bothered me about this movie is that. He says, what are these fucking iguanas doing on this coffee table? <laughs> Only one of those is an iguana. <laughs> the other one is a bearded dragon. So that that okay. my brain, being as it is, just jumps to all oh, kinds of questions. Like, <laughs> like, why 
you know, he says like iguanas and one of them is an iguana. Why isn't the other one also an iguana? Like did the animal wrangler only have one iguana and they're like, look, if we really want this scene to land, we need another reptile. And then what's funny is that, you know, Val Kilmer says there's no iguana there. And so there's a part of me that's like, so does Val Kilmer see the bearded dragon and he's a pedant? <laughs> the, then then he he taps the bearded dragon and says like iguana again. And I'm like, you didn't even hit the actual iguana. <laughs> Um, also that bearded dragon is legitimately pissed. You can, yes. you can yeah. tell by the way it is hissing and puffing up its neck. But so, yeah, that's just, I needed to get that out because this is the only forum in which anyone will ever like give me the time to do it. And it's germane to anything. Cause when I saw this movie for the first time, I was like, that's not a goddamn iguana. Uh, this changes everything. Right. It opens up so many questions. What's then crazy is that we do see that iguana later on in the movie, but not the bearded dragon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, so what it, I'm reason, what I'm saying reason, is that the the bearded okay. dragon represents his sense of loss, and the iguana rather his sense of uh, being a capable hunter of men. <laughs> you could convince me of this with Herzog, honestly. <laughs> the, the, the reason I was asking was because those sequences are just so so odd and so weird. Mm. I think at one point. Uh, Cage is like directly stare, like like glances out of the corner of his eye and like starts to stare at them. And in the background, you can see Val Kilmer kind of look over at Cage and then mm-hmm. look back. And I was just like, okay, I I can't tell if this is like like I don't understand what is the stage direction going on in these sequences. This had to be just like okay, we're setting up the shot. Don't worry about it. Like we're just gonna get some B-roll footage, and Werner's just sitting over there, like with a fucking fiber optic cable, like just going crazy. And I'm just like, I don't understand who, like how this got from Werner's head into the film without him being in direct control. I mean, it's that kind of thing where it's like, you know, that's how you know that this is like a really special movie because you're watching that (laughs) and you. You're not just like, this is crazy. You legitimately wonder who is in charge of all of this. <laughs> well, th- there's because it's sequence. Such a, it's such a crazy different. It's it, like you said, it's a it's a fiber optic camera, like poking mm-hmm. an iguana in the face. And <laughs> the song Release Me by Johnny Adams is playing. And, oh, yeah. and so I love it. It's and like and like you said, Bill, Nicolas Cage is I fucking these goddamn lizards <laughs> yeah. like a guy in a in a prison yard who's getting ready to prove himself and and val kilmer looks deeply confused <laughs> as to whether or not they should still be holding for sound or something and you really yeah. do feel like yeah maybe they like filmed that just for fun and then at some point herzog was like i would i'd very much like to have the the lizard cap <laughs> Uh, I feel as though we should put that in there. This is good. I did it. I just did. I had to not think about it. I just had to run up on it. You know, (laughs) there's a there's another sequence that I love, which is the highway sequence where like one of the like this poor uh, I uh, Brian, I will leave it to you. What is this? Um, I'm assuming that that is an alligator. Okay. Anyways, uh, a a. uh, uh, I don't even know a, a reptile 
Uh, it's an alligator. It has... Just call it an alligator. It's okay. probably an right. alligator. Right. Fine. I just don't want anybody to come after me. Um, an alligator is uh, dying on the highway, and then they have this whole dying. sequence. I think it's just basking. Why am I being petted about this? Anyway, just go on. Yes. No, it's dead. It's dead. Is it? Well, it's, it's kind of yeah. moving. Yeah. I thought it was it's sitting in the grasses so, with its mouth open. I, no, no, no. Become, you're yeah. thinking of the other one. Um, and so, oh, yeah. anyways, uh, that's that's what I wanted to get to. They cut to a sequence where it looks like he's basically showing a, another alligator that's like looking on his dead fallen comrade and like mm-hmm. grieving and then like decides like, okay, fuck it, I gotta get out of here before they run over me too. And I'm just like, what is the sequence? I don't understand why well, we're giving like The movie like, begins so with time. a snake making yes. its way mm-hmm. through the waters, mm-hmm. you know, un, unimpeded mm-hmm. by the flood, which uh, destroyed the city. And not only that, but very easily slipping in and out of the bars of a jail. Mm-hmm. So if you and I'm not being facetious when I say this, the reptilian imagery in this movie has to be there for a reason. And it <laughs> seems as though that moment with that snake is saying like this is nature this is a a literally we call like the lowest part of our brain the reptilian brain <laughs> because reptiles don't really have any higher functions um and this creature is able to slip in and out of the jail cell it is unimpeded by the the, the breakdown of society it is unimpeded by the loss of man and it scares yeah. the shit out of people and there's a reason that the iguanas are there during the stakeout, also looking in the same direction as the cops. And there's a reason that the iguana comes back once the uh, people are shot in a uh, Big Fate's rumpus room. <laughs> the 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 look the look on Nicolas Cage's face when he's obviously hallucinating uh, is is just so wonderful. The 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 Which look. Time? Well, both times <laughs> actually. Times. So like yeah. <laughs> it's almost like he he like found the perfect like hallucinating face that when he's looking at the iguanas and then when he is looking at the break dancer i think that's called cocaine (laughs) (laughs) well exactly i mean but it's like but it's just such a it's just such a like he's it's like he's full of bliss in some sort of like strange way but he's also kind of like half asleep and he's just kind of like very um uh, uh, just it, the look on his face is one of, of joy mixed with, um, insanity. And, uh, it's, it's, it's one of, it's one of the things I laugh at the most when he is staring at that guy breakdancing and the, and the, the, the camera just sort of like slowly zooms in on his, his incredibly dopey face. Uh, <laughs> so funny. The music during that scene, the, the fact that the, the harmonica, yeah. The fact that the breakdancer is so obviously just not. not the guy. <laughs> yeah. I had a I had a memory. He has a mohawk. <laughs> uh, in in my memory of that scene, it was one of the younger men who looked as though maybe they could talk him into breakdancing. Same. Same. And yeah. I was yeah. shocked to discover <laughs> that it was the old past retirement Jewish fella who just like and he's got a mohawk and he's like 20 years who, old and he's who also just gave a hell of a fucking line like about like how he's been at this for a long time and he never like took above what he was owed right. and so now he's at like retirement age and he's not able to fucking retire anymore so now he just takes 
everything that he can get his hands on. And right. I'm just he like, used to be a thief is, with this honor. This is a great, and this now is a he's great, great. Line. Yeah, it, that the, like it's there's a lot of moments like that in this movie that are just fascinating and so interesting and they're all buffeted on all sides by this performance by cage and this aesthetic by herzog that's just just absolutely can, bad can we can we talk about the dirty spoon that he gives ava mendez i mean we uh, got can i i i want to piggyback off i i want to piggyback off that exact thought you just had brian because i yeah. I, I, it's really interesting. Your uh, we mentioned that like, I no longer leave any of the money on the table, because I I think this movie is is um, it, it's it's both playful and oddly moving to me mm-hmm. in the way that it handles so many of these peripheral characters and, and like you know I almost think I, I really want to know what uh, the screenwriter, what William Finkelstein thought of the finished film, because you look at his resume and it's these very, you know, some of them are prestigious, like NYPD blue and things like that, but he's like a very straight ahead cop procedural screenwriter. And like Herzog seems interested in that only as it exists with a character who's constantly breaking out of the confines <laughs> of that storyline. Like he is, he likes when things are at their most didactic at their most, like I, I had completely forgotten how much you, you see a sequence that continuity would suggest that we would see a transitional sequence. And we go to an entirely different incident in the, in the next scene. And it's, it's just like even compared to I, I mean, I feel like it's impossible to not compare this to the Safties a, a little bit in the year mm-hmm. since, you know, things like Good Time, Heaven Knows What, and especially Uncut Jumps with a degenerate gambler. But still, I, I think there's something so interesting in how this movie, it it. It seems to constantly reminding, be constantly reminding you that it's like alive, like like there will be this really kind of dull uh, dialogue or like a dull plot thing, and then someone has like an oddly moving monologue that reminds you that they have an interior life, or the way that like early interrogations. It was so fascinating to me that the police when they interrogate. All black people, by the way, Um, they are like they're so efficient. There's no emotion. It's like good cop, bad cop stuff. But it's also like everyone's reaction is so is it's so colorful. And there's like a sense of ritual. Like you see how Herzog like perks up when he sees like I, I don't know if it's a. I don't know what kind of ritual it is, but it's, it looks like some type of funeral ritual or something with, with yeah. someone in some type of uh, traditional. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm butchering. Senegal. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I, it is Senegalese. OK, but yeah. Anyways, like this, this movie is just so strange to me. And then I think that even goes to um, I want to mention briefly Peter Zettlinger and Mark Isham, which mm-hmm. those that music at 
it, it seems to shapeshift in the same way the film does. Like it starts as kind of like somewhat familiar, like those, um, uh, you know, the certain like uh, very familiar, you know, rise and fall, like ramping up to urgency. And then it just starts getting like clanging and abrasive and like Zeitlinger as well. Like, I had totally forgot how dingy this movie is. <laughs> like, it's so clearly, like, I could totally see Harris being like, no, this is too clean. <laughs> you need to, <laughs> you need to make this, it's not even just like grimier, but it's like, this movie like almost wants to show it's more low budget than it is. Like, this movie was 25 million, but it like, it's fascinating to me that it also came out through Millennium and Saturn Films and First Look First Studio. Look. Yeah. Because it has that VOD look at times, oh, yeah. but then these just like so many spikes of personality. Yeah. Um, the, 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 to, to add to that, the previews on the, the Blu-ray, because they're all First Look <laughs> Studios, there is a preview sure. for a Suicide Girls DVD. I don't know if you guys remember. <laughs> is there a plot to it or is it just here's some girls with nose piercings and tattoos looking like Be, being naked? Yeah, yeah. they uh, yes. the I believe the plot is like is the Suicide Girls guide to life. And so they have. I don't know that I want to be taking life advice from the Suicide Girls. Well, they show examples, and it's like uh, uh, the guide to running away from your wedding, uh, the guide to uh, killing a vampire. Like you know, it's a bunch of bunch of gothic. All right, shit, I take but... it back. I need this shit. This I need. <laughs> you sold me. <laughs> it was it was a it was a preview for a DVD on a Blu-ray. So there you go. That's the that's that's the standard of quality they're going for. Um, I want to I want to mention real quick that uh, uh, Mike, when you mentioned the 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 screenwriter, he is Dave. He's the he's the guy at the end, uh, the old guy um, uh, whose whose soul is dancing. Yeah, so he I think that he the the idea that I'm getting from reading about this movie is that um, everyone who uh, put forward the money, like the studio and the and the screenwriter, all that they I think they really liked how it turned out, partly because. Um, it was filmed under schedule and under budget. And so it was, it became like, so the studio basically was like, wow, like this guy, like Herzog delivered, like he took care of everything. Um, and like, you know, like he, like we didn't have to do anything. He gave it to us under schedule. He gave it to us under budget. Um, everyone who worked on it was happy. Uh, so I think that like, they kind of just, we're like, here we got this weird movie, but it's it's super cheap, and uh, and he delivered everything that he said he was going to. So, I think they're pretty happy with it. It's just so weird because it just at times feel like feels like Herzog is like cosplaying. So it was, it was interesting mm-hmm. you were saying he's kind of an an asshole. I, I mean, I don't know if he's quite a trickster because he's almost too like philosophically sincere. To really yes. be like fuck you, at the, like e- even whatever ambiguity this film ends with, it, it's not one of like nihilism, no. which is which is, is strange is t- to say. I'm trying to parse it still. Well, it is honest. tender. I think that you know, like the the talking about the 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 moving parts, and you know, and we can talk about the the relationship, and it, which I think, like you know, if, I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about the first bad lieutenant, but. The big difference, I mean, there's so many differences between these movies, but 
a huge difference for me upon I rewatched both of them uh, this week, this past weekend. And so um, the the relationship between uh, Terrence and uh, uh, shoot, what's her name? Uh, whatever the character that even been in this place. Uh, Frank. It's like I, I guess Herzog said that this original script just it didn't really focus as much on their relationship. And it was a lot more of them just sort of being junkies together. And sure. Herzog added the part with the spoon and because he really wanted there to be sort of like a, a sort of a, a tender relationship growing in, in the middle of this movie. That and 100%. I think that, yeah, that, that, I, that moment reads like that, like that, like his story and the way that she responds to it is such a, is just like, I, I almost could believe that they had, that they had improvised that whole thing. Like, and there's <laughs> a lot of ways to take what I just said. But I mean, it's effective yeah. and it works. And um, also, I have seen two people on on uh, not depressants, not I don't know, some sort of like upper. I think it was meth for them. Um, but talk about <laughs> stuff like that. And so, like when she goes, it could be anywhere, and starts looking around. I was like, oh man, <laughs> it's like it's like when I I remember watching Killing Them Softly. And, um, yeah, there's that scene where, uh, yes, um, there's that scene where, um, the guy who always plays a greasy looking person. Yeah. Ben Mendelsohn is Mm -hmm. nodding on the couch as the person's trying to tell him all this stuff. And I just remember sitting in the theater and getting fucking furious because there have been so (laughs) many times when I've tried to talk to someone on heroin and it is, (laughs) Let's just take a moment to exp- really feel what I just said out loud oh, on this podcast. God, and it is so much like that, that I was like gripping the seats in the theater, just being like, I fucking hate when you need to talk to someone on heroin. <laughs> this is so true to life. And her reaction to it is such like a, a methy coked out, like, I, I, this isn't just a story. This mm-hmm. is now a mission that I have. Um, right. So it was really good. That that scene is is really quite beautiful. <laughs> Michael, are you okay? <laughs> I I do want to say something about um, and this is coming from my deep love of Herzog, but I think what originally drew him or drew me to him in the first place when I first started watching his movies is are those individual scenes of just like mind blowing tenderness, and um, mm. I I think I always think about. Uh, Stroshek and the scene there's a scene you know it's about uh, 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 the I'm forgetting the name but the the guy who plays Casper Hauser in the Enigma Casper Hauser you know he's he's sort of this like weird almost um, like kind of like a like a pre-human kind of he's like it's like he's kind of exists outside of society but he comes to America and he's kind of just wandering around you know the heartland of America and there's a scene where he goes to a uh, a ward in a hospital where there's all these like infants um and there's and the doctor reaches out his finger and the and an infant grabs the finger and he pulls it up and he's showing stroshek like how strong the infant is and there's just this baby that's just gripping onto his finger and he's lifting it up and the baby is still hanging there and it's just a scene of such like just beautiful, beautiful tenderness that that Herzog seems to just be able to just find almost mm-hmm. as if he's not even trying. And that's kind of why I love uh, family romance so much is there 
um, there's a few scenes of just like of the, the tenderness just breaks through kind of the artifice of what's going on. And that's when you feel like that. Yeah. Like maybe Herzog's kind of an asshole, but he's maybe more, uh, it's like more of like a, like a wittiness to what he's doing because he does, he is able to find this kind of like ineffable, these ineffable moments that are just so touching that just kind of stick out of all of the other weird shit that's going on. You know what that makes me think of is it makes me think of Terrence Malick, but like I if, was just about to mention if, that. Yeah, if Malick new, new didn't Malick. attempt to make a unified aesthetic, like Werner mm-hmm. Herzog is is it at times just like we're making a Hollywood picture. You know, we got our setups here and there. We got a locked off sh- and then he'll be like, all right. Hand me the fiber optic camera. I need to get a picture of this lizard. <laughs> this lizard, uh, it contains truth in his eyes. <laughs> there is a there is a quote that he says uh, that I think applies to this, as I keep quoting from this book, but this is just such gold. And is, there is nothing more wondrous than seeing Nicolas Cage and a lizard together in one shot. I mean, he's not wrong. He said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no disagreement there. I, I really I really wish that I had like five minutes with him and I would just be like, were you aware that that's not an iguana? Like, what is? <laughs> but I, I would I lo- think there's something. I, I, Brian, I'm sorry. I just want to briefly to go back to the spoon thing. I I think what's so fascinating about that is there's both scenes that are heightened in a way that feels manufactured but real, and then there's things that just oddly feel real like we already spoke about the dave scene but i I think a number of scenes with exhibit have this odd like melancholy that almost slips in like his like like i'm just i find this film fascinating and i don't know how to much to take it at face value like (laughs) yeah i mean you could interpret as like a really cruel thing too because he's also like if i make up this involved family story she'll stay here even though my stepmom is is a drunk and cruel to her <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like that scene is is can be interpreted a number of ways and then yeah. you can also wonder did he just like at the end put a fucking spoon in the dirt he's either he is either tricking her because he feels like giving her the spoon will mean something or there was never a spoon and this is a new spoon or that is the old spoon and his child brain assumed it was silver and it was actually just stainless steel. Right. Like there's so many layers to that. And, 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 and that's a lot of this movie. What's funny to me is I was watching this movie and I couldn't remember a lot of the plot. Um, but I remembered mm-hmm. a lot of the oh, scenes. Sure. And so at the end, Ooh. when things are like wrapping up, I was like, is this, is he, did he die? Like, is this, <laughs> I'm not usually one of those people who's like, well, the last act of the movie is a hallucination and he really died like 14 scenes earlier. But we for the him, boyhood scene. <laughs> for, for him to, for him to come in and just be like, oh God, I lost the thing and like everything's going to hell. And then the fucking, the fucking guy comes in and he's like, Shay Wiggum comes in. And he's like, oh yeah, baby. Like, all that's gone oh yeah oh yeah and then yeah yeah exactly that whole scene is so funny it's just like one person after another being like terrence everything worked out it's great you're awesome bye there's a there's an episode of 30 rock i recently 
started rewatching 30 Rock and there's an episode about Leap Day, um, <laughs> which might be one of my favorite like half hours of television of all time because they really work to create this insane alternate reality where Leap Day is a huge massive national holiday with like little catchphrases and weird things but the best part of it is that there is a a liar liar style romantic comedy about leap day called leap dave williams and it stars jim carrey and jim carrey is in it and it keeps cutting to it because it's on usa the network 24 hours on leap day and at the end He's doing like the liar liar thing where he's racing down the street and he's ripping his clothes off and he's like, I saved Leap Day and I like, you know, saved the public school and I reconnected with my son and I won that big case from earlier. And that's literally (laughs) McDonough sits down in this movie and it's just pop, pop, pop. And it and it becomes slowly more insane because like brad dourif comes in there and he's been like a ball of nervous energy where he's just like fucking pay me terrence and <laughs> he's so good at this by the way Dorf impression damn <laughs> <laughs> terrence god damn it terrence. Chucky. Yeah, and you're so, doing chucky brad dourif <laughs> <laughs> and so he comes in and he's like you know, blah, blah, blah. McDonald's like, I know, oh my God, I don't have any money for you. He's like, I guess he didn't see the end of the game. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then he, McDonald literally says, I guess it all worked out anyway. <laughs> like, his plots and plans basically have nothing to do with most of what good happens to him. The guy gives him $10,000 and then also says, oh, and um, Feruza Balk, who was here for a day and a half, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> primarily to get a per diem, I guess. Got, you know, my tickets taken care of. So thank you so much for that. And then, and then Shea comes in, or first, I can't even remember. It's such a hodgepodge. But then the comic heightening reaches its peak when his chief of detectives just dances in front of him and just is like, oh, baby, we did it. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, tell what happened. We done it. Yes. And then just like skips away. And I'm just like, this is like i can't remember does this movie end with him in a ditch bleeding out smiling (laughs) because like this is crazy and then the fact that it then cuts to like a year later or something yeah and he's getting (laughs) another promotion and ava mendez is cleaned up and gorgeously (laughs) pregnant and his dad and his fucking dad's girlfriend are there and they're all having so much fun. And the waiter comes over and is like, more wine? He's like, no, we're all sticking to sparkling water at this table. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just, my brain was rejecting it as I watched it. As Ava Mendez is like very noticeably just like stroking her stomach repeatedly. It's almost like Herzog was like, no, you are pregnant. You have to stroke your tummy. Have you never seen a pregnant woman? <laughs> they're always touching their stomachs to remind themselves of the power that they hold. A universe within their womb. Anyway, um, so yeah, so, and then <clears throat> it cuts to him back outside the Gator Club, and um, I was like, oh my god, was the whole, was the whole movie <laughs> was the whole movie a hallucination? And I was just so confused. And like it's and but the crazy thing is that usually if that was happening to me, I would hate it. But with this movie, 
sure the more i think back on it the more it really is just like a series of things that just happen that mm-hmm. like like his attempts at affecting agency is are they're just like they're really haphazard and usually come to nothing like he never well, would have found that kid if the kid just yeah, didn't come through the window uh-huh. right. yeah, like let's talk about daryl like they have him in custody Right. And they're like, you know what? He he really needs to be protected 24 hours. You know who we should give him to? This fucking guy. Like Terrence yeah. is out of his fucking mind almost throughout this entire movie. And what is the first thing he does? He gets a phone call from fucking Frankie and is like, all right, kid, we're going to Biloxi. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? And then and the dog disappears to go to a quote unquote restroom and then his his grandma informs Terrence that he went to fucking England and you're just like what the fuck is this Yeah, because the senator's mother has connections there it's just such a it's so it's all so bananas and it leads to that greater sense of like well yeah of course this guy is doing a shit ton of drugs wouldn't Mm -hmm. you like this is very hard to compile in your brain, and and it's um it, it, uh, we do have to talk about the gun that he is wielding throughout the very God, the hand cannon. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It is so fucking big, and I think at, at one point early on, like Ava Mendez, like jokingly, uh, it's it's when he like interrupts her like escapade with this other guy and she's clearly like yeah let's get this guy yeah Yeah, let's let's get this douchebag out of here and like she pulls out the gun jokingly and like points it at him and is like "Ah!" and i was like don't fucking do that that look they're both on a lot of drugs (laughs) i know but i was just like jesus christ that gun is so fucking big (laughs) And and he does not have a holster for it. it is no, like, he keeps tucking it in his fucking pants, and I'm like, that's yeah. a terrible idea. He like walks into his chief's office, and the gun is like, it's not even like off to the side for like a cross draw. No. He's it's like got the off. tip touching his penis. <laughs> yep. Yes. It's um, and I have to imagine that Herzog was there, just like you know, and people were like, are we sure this is? What we're yes, it's a phallic symbol. It's just like, of course yeah, it is, Werner. Big, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I was going to say that um, the I and you know, I watched them right next to each other. Like I watched the Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant and then watched this uh, sort of right after. But um, there is the. It had been so long since I watched Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant that I, you know, I was remembering everything the first time. And there's that point where, you know, it's pretty obvious that uh, uh, that uh, Harvey Keitel's character is, is royally fucked. And it's when he's like in, in the midst of his sort of final bender. And the guy is basically telling him or like his like bookie slash like mob connection is basically telling him like uh, this guy's going to blow up your house and kill your whole family. Um, if you don't get us the money, like, and, and your idea, like your next bet is, is ludicrous. Um, and you're going to die. And Harvey Cattell is like, wait, ludicrous is in the movie. Sorry, yeah, I, I had to do that because exhibit is in there. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. Oh, I also thought maybe you were doing like a Fast and Furious thing because we've got a guy named Dom. <laughs> oh, Jesus! 
so many connections. <laughs> Wait, we've got a guy that's, named that's Dom. We got a guy named Brian. Er, yeah. <gasps> We're missing. Ah. Who are we missing? And Shea Wignam is is in this movie too. This is great. Um, yeah, Shea Wiggum uh, in this movie is just incredible. Yeah, he is. But what I was gonna say is that he says he says like he's like I'm not gonna die. I'm blessed. I'm Catholic. Like I can't yeah. die. I've been dodging bullets since I was 14. I'm not gonna die. And of course he does in the end. Um, but I was thinking about this with this movie where it's almost like a literalization of that where it's like. No matter what he does, he just he sort of comes out on top in the end. And it's yeah. almost and the fact that the last the very last shot, you know, well, the last thing that that he says is do fishes do fish have dreams? And then there's the shot of them in the aquarium. And the last thing he does is he sort of like has this weird chuckle. And then the movie ends. <laughs> um, and it's just like such a perfect ending to like to the idea that like, how did that happen? Like, how did this guy end up where he is? He's, he's obviously an asshole. He obviously can't get his shit together. He doesn't deserve any of this. And it's almost sure. like at the end that the movie's just like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Isn't Cause that kind he's of the dream of a fish. We're all the dream of a fish. That's right. like the movie starts on water. It ends near water. I mean, it, it, it mm-hmm. all makes sense. I was thinking about the <clears throat> idea of, it was weird because I was almost going back and forth with this idea in my head of no God, only religion, no religion, only God. In the mm-hmm. sense that like, you know, his philosophy, like he's never more passionate than when he's, when, uh, when he's, when Terrence is talking about efficiency, when he's talking about when he has a, a singular purpose and that is moving forward in life, whatever forward actually means. And like, it's weird because he is so devoted to that, but so much of the film is, is also about like recognizing his, his loneliness. Like every time that he seems to be in, uh, you know, chemically or physically induced euphoria, it's, it's still not enough or it's, it's mm-hmm. fleeting. Like it, it is weird the way this kind of has a dialogue with the, with the Catholicism and like, you know, it, it's, it's admittedly been a while, but like, you know, so much of Keitel's performance in Bad Lieutenant is just like, it's just him sobbing and just yeah. this deeply pathetic. I, I mean, everyone yeah. picks obviously the image of him right after, I think it's during the threesome scene where he's just yeah. sobbing nude um, <laughs> it's it's like this weird whimpering, <laughs> but it's but it, it but it is interesting though that you mention that Kaitel is like always fucked because there is then almost something also moving that even if this is not a remake, it's not the same movie. Like the fact that he he like gets away scot free despite being a terrible person in mm. Port of New Orleans. Like it's like. This is refreshing, I, I, in a way. Like everything's back to status quo. The world has its checks and balances. <laughs> it's almost like asking. It's like, well, I mean, he's at that point, he's a bad captain. But it's like <laughs> at the end, it's just it's sort of like, is like, is he a bad guy? And I think that one of the things that was popping out as I was doing all this reading about it was that Hertz he Nicholas Cage asked Herzog like what. He's like, you know, I know that we don't really have this relationship, but uh, what is what is what is this guy's uh, motivation? Like, is is, 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 is he uh, talking about uh, the the uh, 
that I gotta say that that uh, Nicholas Cage impression uh, came out of nowhere. I thought that was okay, <laughs> but, uh, but he was wondering about uh, the like why why is this guy so fucked up? Is it is it because he's in New Orleans? Is it be, you know like what is it? And Herzog was just basically like. Um, there is, uh, what would you describe it? There's such a thing as a bliss of evil. And so huh. I think that it's like Herzog's way of saying that like, there is, there's this sort of like desire in all, in all of us to sort of, sort of find joy in doing bad things. And then kind of at the end of the movie, it's just like, well, you know, was he bad? I don't know. I mean, everything kind of worked out for the best. He, well, that's what's he, weird he about the case, you know, <laughs> the movie begins very ambiguously because there's a man who is probably going to drown left in lockup. Yes. And <clears throat> they like give him a lot of shit, but, Nicholas Cage eventually does dive off the thing, the 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 catwalk to go save him, and in doing so, injures himself greatly. Mm -hmm. um, and roots his underwear. He you forgot to mention. He does that. ruin his fifty dollar <laughs> underwear. Um <laughs> why would you wear that while copping during a hurricane? I don't know. <laughs> um Exactly. But I do assume if on a cop seller he's buying fifty dollar underwear, he's already taken some off the top. Um <laughs> I mean, that's he, he does my say it, it's from his girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which I assume <laughs> at that point is still Frankie. Tom, I wanted to ask: Is the well, only well, quote? Well, uh, so wait, wait, no, real quick. I just have a question about Bed Lieutenant. Is the only quote the oral sex, like uh, where he pulls them over, uh, mm. or he pulls over that woman and kind of makes her? But that's like weirdly consensual in, in a way yeah. that first film is not. Is right. definitely non-consensual. I'm just curious: is there any other quotes? Well, I th uh, no, and I think that Herzog is pretty adamant uh, that he that there are no connections. You know, like the whole "go forth losers" kind of thing. But um, it's I th I think that he's lying, um, <laughs> and, uh, and that like he thinks this is really funny. Like I cannot believe that he has never seen an Abel Ferrara movie. Um, <laughs> you think this is all just it, a bit that he's doing that's just making yeah, him laugh Yeah, I, I honestly think it's a bit. And you know what? And I think that partly, um, and it's hard to tell with him what's serious and what's not, but I think that this, what's really uh, fascinating about the way that he tells stories is that he he very confidently tells stories as if he has this like photographic memory. And in many ways he does. Like the way that he recalls the many, many movies that he's done is, is pretty remarkable. But, um, he, he talks about that scene on the highway with the dead alligator. And, uh, and by the way, there's a, there, they showed how they made that scene in the behind the scenes. And they actually had like a, a, a gator wrangler, like bring a dead alligator to the set and cut and cut its belly open so that they could like pull the organs out so that it looks like it's roadkill. And then they had a, someone standing with a fish line off the side, pulling at the leg. So it looks like it was twitching. And, uh, in when he's recalling that he says that he literally was the one who was holding the fish line, pulling on it. And when you watch the behind the scenes, that is not true. He's not the one who's pulling on it. And maybe that's just like one of those like small disc discrepancies that just could just kind of like, he's just trying to tell a good story. But I really think that like the, you have to consider that with Herzog's idea of what is true and what's not like, there's a lot of stuff that he's just making up to tell a good story. And so 
I can't imagine because there are so many similarities between this movie and bad and the first bad, bad lieutenant past just the idea of a of a above of, of a bad lieutenant. Like yeah, that whole scene, and I was thinking about that too. Like that that scene with the, the couple outside the club is you know it's like obviously almost like a weird mirror of that incredibly harrowing scene in the in the first movie. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's like got this weird consensual kind of streak to it that is definitely not in the first movie and it makes yeah and it makes it see like it makes you look at at nicholas cage's character in kind of a different way and you kind of wonder like what like what is herzog trying to say if he's trying to say anything um sorry if you hear my my dogs barking (laughs) crazy in the background um uh but yeah like i really noticed that and i think that my the only thing i can think of is that like he probably saw a bad lieutenant um also i guess the the fact that the script wasn't written by him um you know it probably has maybe has some similarities that he didn't even wasn't even aware about um but uh yeah like i just i think he's just lying i think he's just trying to tell a good story <laughs> that it's a better story to say that he never saw a bad lieutenant and that abel ferrara uh hated the idea of what he was doing um because it just makes for a better story I need to mention something amazing. I'm realizing I'm looking at Peter Zeitlinger's uh, wiki. And so last year's Tommaso from Abel Ferreira. Oh, who, really? Uh, what, what do you know? Peter Zeitlinger. DP. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. I didn't even know that. That's great. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe they buried the hatchet. <laughs> over I, can't even remember, <laughs> I can't even remember now what I was going to say. I was I was in the middle of a broader point and now I can't remember what it was. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, it's it's Michael's fault if I recall correctly. I, um, <laughs> yeah. I was for once on topic and about to say something, and that's when you decided to interrupt me. Well, you did a non sequitur in the middle of your point. At which point, I no, because got... we were talking about I we we were talking about the oh that's right it was the ambiguity of whether or not he even begins as a good or bad person because his yes. words are execrable, but he yeah. you know Val Kilmer's like legitimately a bad <laughs> sergeant I guess and he's <laughs> like no let's just get the the time of death from the corner let's get out of here and Cage is like no I gotta save this guy and then later yeah. on Val Kilmer's like. All right, here's the story. Like he went for the gun and I fucking shot him. And Cage is like, "No, that's not how we do it. Like we've already been in a situation like this before and we're going to do this the right way." So it's very Right. It's very it's hard to know. And it, like, you know, it, like it was he a dick who became an asshole when he suddenly had this pain pill dependency? Um, you know, at, like at what point did like his, his joking cruelty become like something that he would follow through on because at the end well, of the day, did he, did he have an addiction before or after? Right. I really, it really, I right. really don't think that he had it before the, the back thing, but I yeah, mean like, yeah. who knows who fucking knows? It's incredibly difficult to say for sure. All I know is that when we meet him after the jump, he is instantly the least trustworthy looking person <laughs> in the history of cinema. And the it's first bananas that people keep f- assuming he's competent. Um, I, I made a note uh, that uh, I never realized how, how like his body is such a punchline in this movie. The first time we see him post um, or I, I kind of maybe one of the first times we see him post injury is like the, the chief is like talking about this murder and all these 
cops are standing around and you know in the room and, and hearing about it and the chief is like and then they're all they all look like strong and you know they're all just standing there looking grim and and the camera's panning across all of them and right when it says that he's going to be leading it it like stops on him and he just looks so goofy and goblin like that it's just like you can't help but <laughs> laugh because it's just like he just jarringly sticks out from the rest of these assuming these straight straight laced cops right um there's it's his face is such a punchline in this movie it's it's great because he constantly looks like he just saw an imaginary iguana <laughs> like that's the thing is that once that iguana scene happens i'm just constantly wondering like are they still there is he just knows better than to talk about them now it's crazy it's crazy that anyone trusts him except maybe exhibit because exhibit really sells that he sees how yes. fucked up this guy is, but he does mm-hmm. not give a shit because it's still working for him. Right. I, I, this is a nitpick and it's not even a nitpick of like, Oh, this would never happen. Cause I'm sure this does happen, but it's something that I like, if you ever have one of these things like in a movie, like I hate it when people don't like finish their food or like, uh, whenever someone like spits out toothpaste, but then doesn't like rinse with water <laughs> for me, it's always when people have a parcel of drugs and just cut straight down the center. Because then it's like, how are you? That is the least effective and sensible. Like, do, does the concept of spillage not exist in the drug trade? Right. Because, like, especially well, when yeah, Nicolas like, Cage is like, if, he's got his glassine bag and his And spoon, he's like shoveling it. And he's just like, <laughs> he looks like the, the um. there's like a cartoon, a Disney cartoon where like someone... He's getting coffee, I think, and like yeah. the coffee, the 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 little the little sugar thing is alive. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it's um, it's the, the cocaine. No, yeah, it, well, <laughs> so it's the it's the sword and the stone, and they're having tea, and mm-hmm. the little sugar thing is just constantly scooping sugar out, and it's just like yes. shoveling it in until it's piled up higher than the tea, and that is like what Nicolas Cage is doing <laughs> in this movie, and I'm like. He has pulled out $60,000 worth of, of, of Coke or heroin or whatever the fuck it was supposed to be. Um, it seemed a little too powdery to be heroin. But anyway, mm. it's um, and, and I'm just like, he spilled like $5,000 on the table. <laughs> and Exhibit is just there and he's like, ah, fuck it. I'll dust buster it up. It doesn't matter. I'm stepping on yeah. this shit anyway. I'm just like. Uh, yeah, how did they clean that up? Like, I, I don't understand, but I, because yeah. I'm at no, the, it, it, my, my favorite part of that is you see the result of the situation when exhibit kills that guy with the shotgun and then cocaine is all over the air and you're just like, this is how we get ants. Like this is, this is not really fast not moving, okay. well-organized ants. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Like I work at the distillery and we have to do everything by hand. So a lot of bottling happens by hand. And, and when we were doing hand sanitizer, we were literally, you'd fill a bucket with the hand sanitizer and then you'd take a little pouring beaker and you would pour into the thing with a funnel. And, and that's the same way that we fill our bottles. And I, we joke constantly about spillage. And if you like overfill and some dribbles out the side, we jokingly say, God damn it, the profits, but we are actually very <laughs> serious about it. Mm. And so then, and that's the booze is like, maybe like I just spilled like 30 cents worth. And these people are just like every spoon <laughs> is $7,000 <laughs> and they don't care. Um, I, that also, that there's, there were so many like catchphrases from this movie that I forgot about that his soul is still dancing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is my yeah. lucky crack pipe. <laughs> you don't you have, have a lucky, lucky crack, crack pipe. <laughs> <laughs> what are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table? Uh, or the, the the this is a throwaway line, but when he's he's at the at the bar or like the where everyone you know like the sports bar where everyone's making bets, and that guy at the at the bar is like talking to him. He's like, "Hey, do you want to get my picks for the Pac-10?" And he goes, "Do I look like I want to hear your picks for the Pac-10?" <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. We should His- also talk about how around the hour ten minute mark. Uh, Cage starts talking with Cottonmouth. Yes. Oh like, my God. Dis- yes. I was just dis- about to say this, Michael. Yes. Yes. I, th- I mean, I think it's really effective, and it does come at a point where he starts to become just permanently heavy lidded, even more so than earlier in the film. I mean, isn't but this like, around the time when when he tells the the grand the grandmother like he's working off of like an hour and a half of sleep over the last three days? Yeah. Is that the and first scene where th- where that starts? Yeah, yeah, you might be right, Bo. I think it might be. I don't know if, it's definitely like it's after he's lost scene, the kid, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's yes, I mean he yeah. starts breaking down. It, and I saw that and I was like it's weird cuz he hasn't been attempting a New Orleans accent this entire movie. <laughs> and this is not a New Orleans accent. So I don't know what he's going for cuz suddenly he's talking like this, you know, he's just got a little there's like a little like a little like he's yeah. trying to get a, a, a corn seed out of its corner of his mouth. And I'm just like what in the shit Jesus fuck is this that's happening right now? Yeah. I know and yeah it's just like uh, that's what I thought too is like his accent is just kind of all over the place in, in a weird unknowable way but uh that that scene when he when he sees the, or when he goes to meet the grandmother for the second time he's hiding behind the door and the door swings open and he's behind it and he's shaving with like an electric <laughs> Yes, I love that. And it's terrifying. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about that little that little add-on. Because they're like, now what are you saying to us? And he's just like, what I'm saying is just like furiously like, working it over his chin. His his jacket was like Inspector Inspector Gadget's jacket. Like <laughs> yeah. I just felt like he just like had like his whole life in his jacket pocket, and he kept putting everything back in the exact same pocket. It's got a so fucking like, ooh, that's a like big, a bottomless pocket, like a big fucking gun, a shit ton of drugs, the electric racer. <laughs> yeah, his lucky crack pipe. Lucky crack pipe treats for the dog. Um. The nude God. photos of of his friend's <laughs> wife. Yeah, he's still got <laughs> those. Still in there. Yeah, he's um, like, uh, you know, I, I like these. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna take these, and uh, and uh, that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> when he's like looking through them, he's like, I I like these. I'm gonna take these. <laughs> they aren't bad photos. Um, so so this is this is like we we've talked very heavily about this movie and the things we like about it and what we think Herzog's doing. I just have like. Does this function as a narrative? Like that there's like the this the just just like the whole heat style like solving a murder sort of double cross undercover thing that he does. Like does any of that work for anyone inside the genre or are we all just getting our pleasure from the insanity of Herzog and Cage? Yeah, no, none of this fucking works. I mean, I think it's <laughs> I, I think it's sensical and uh I, I this is uh, I don't know if this is very helpful, but I, I think it's clean in its messiness in the sense of oh, you, you when you, <laughs> you 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 the purveyor of of ah, this right. is too Let clean. Me, 
<laughs> Let me articulate exactly what I mean. I think when you get into each granular piece of this investigation, it it doesn't hold water. And it's filled with ambiguities and things where you have to make leaps or believe what other cops are saying and things like that. But I think that this has a um, a certain or, or a certain um, I don't know, like uh, symmetry in how it moves in such a roundabout way. In the same way that, like, to go to classic noirs, like in the same way that something like Maltese Falcon or Big Sleep, you know, you start going through the individual pieces. They're not going to hold together. But this is as much uh, about this, like, evolutionary slash static character arc. Like, in a way, I think that also puts it in, I already mentioned Uncut Gems, but I think it also puts it in dialogue with something like Inherent Vice as well, which is another mm. film where each incident, as, as we kind of mentioned, like that film is filled with incident and they're connected, but it's it's entirely adjacent to every everything else. Like, well, what it, you- it's kind of, go ahead. Well, what you say is interesting because in the Big Sleep, I believe, is the the movie where they called up um, Raymond Chandler and were like, "Hey, we're looking at the script, which is literally just your book but in script format." And yes. um, <laughs> who killed the driver? And Raymond Chandler <laughs> was just legitimately like, "Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He's fucking dead. Like, just that's there. It's there. It's a it's an incident that's moving it forward." Now, this movie. Sure. is a lot cleaner in that it doesn't have shit like that. But I find it interesting that this movie is deeply uninterested mm-hmm. in yes. this case. Like, it, yes. like it's, it's obviously it's a tragedy. Uh, these people were killed execution style, but they weren't like what we would consider a quote unquote innocent family. They were selling drugs in a different drug person's neighborhood. Um, right. And then the crazier part is that every time that he should be getting a new piece of information, because like Michael in the, the noir films that you brought up, like the buildup is to the moment when Bridget O'Shaughnessy finally spills the fucking truth and then Sam sure. Spade can sneer at her and punch her in the mouth because it was the 40s and you could do that to a woman. Um, <laughs> and in this movie, <clears throat> you you miss every moment where the person finally breaks down and tells them the information. Yeah, it's it's yeah. almost like it has less. It has less interest and respect for the act of like getting a confession or getting that piece of information than an episode of Law and Order that is going to have a particularly long trial so that they have to work through the police thing really quickly. Like this movie is like the kid just looks crestfallen and then they're driving. They're like, we got him. We got big fate. The kid heard everything. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that point is yeah it it's definitely revolves around like Daryl uh the the Denzel Whitaker uh character who just like you see him just looking sad and then all of a sudden they're like they're like yep we got to get him into witness protection and you're like did he see something like what what did he see like yeah you don't it takes like two scenes for them to finally be like he's an auditory witness to the case but he's gonna sure so yeah. it's in, it's just it's just funny that like <clears throat> it is so obvious that they were like there is a there is in fact a case here but what is important is the ways in which it pushes him forward to his next drug-fueled bit of mania like you get so much more time spent learning about how he picks the worst people to piss off 
sure. than than anything else. And um, well, it's, the, uh, it's does, a little the crazy. The fact that the drug dealers don't just straight up like kill him yeah. is part of like the fantasy story of like all of this, right? Like, like you would expect like all of this buildup that you know uh, exhibits character is like this big bad guy, and like he ends up kind of just being a guy that is just like he's a businessman. Nah, he wants to make some money. Yeah, he, like he, he's he just sees Terrence as a, as a way in, as a way forward instead of instead of being threatened by him, yeah. which is which is hilarious because like at some point like Terrence multiple times like jokes about killing them and you're just like I I feel <laughs> like more of this would be like um you know like exhibits character would have to like pull him aside and be like look I get like you're a little unhinged but you got to cut this shit out in front of my other <laughs> friends like this cannot happen again you know but I think I, I think the important thing about this though which which I don't want getting lost is I, you know we see a lot of movies about and TV about corrupt cops and some of it's really good some of it's really bad but I think what makes this very different and a lot more effective is it's like ultimately very thoughtful about its its textures. Like it's not interested in, for instance, like institutional failures only to the extent that it enables Cage to live the way that he does. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't David Simon at all, but it is well, it's- deeply empathetic about the people who live outside this case like and i think that's what makes it a lot better than a lot of these like very self-consciously edgy police dramas like it's not mired in its own like you know uh sorry in its own like darkness like its darkness is just like a byproduct (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's it's funny that we were mentioning like all of this like lack of kind of specificity or or kind of uh, follow through in this in this particular film because it would almost you would almost guess that like the screenwriter would have kind of a um a disinterest in like that side of things. But this guy has written like multiple episodes for NYPD blue LA law mm-hmm. law and order sure. Brooklyn's like, like his, his IMDB page is like just riddled with all of these, the good fight, like all of these law dramas. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's the, the police law side or LA law or whatever it may be. And just like, yeah. Oh, so this guy clearly gives a fuck about like that, the genre. And he's, he's almost like taking off the reins and being like, what if we didn't give a fuck about like the actual case, right? The, the nitty gritty right. details. And right, just, cause when you're making a movie called bad Lieutenant, yes, you got to focus on him being bad. and and this movie i i will admit it's two hours and two minutes is like it's it's like supposed running time on imdb it is fucking efficient like this movie is very efficient yeah because there's like seven different plots going on (laughs) although i do think at the end it's kind it's almost like they're they're running out of like physical film and someone was like wrap it up motherfuckers like let's go let's go and that's why we have that like 
<laughs> extended sequence where everything's just going right for Nicholas Cage. <laughs> we were like, going to oh, have this shit, be an extra 30 go. minutes, but we've decided we, we couldn't get the locations <laughs> locked down. So it's all going to happen in the bullpen. <laughs> and uh, we only have these actors for one day. So they're each going to come in and do their thing. Um, yeah. I will say, you know, Michael, you mentioned the boyhood style ending of this. <laughs> I, was, I was partly <laughs> joking, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it 100% is. It's like, yeah, here is yeah. a... A, a Latino that was earlier saved by this him. character. He doesn't corrupt him in boyhood. <laughs> but I don't, I wait, oh, wait. So do I you hope think they're not high? No, I, I don't think that. High. I don't think that the uh, the the guy is high at the end. Yeah, I don't think so either. He does not okay. seem. He doesn't have the look of a man who is high. He looks like he looks like I looked every time I had to deal with a high person. <laughs> <laughs> I know that look on his face when you're sitting there and you're like staring at the the power lines that cut through a forest and your friend is like, do you think the trees can feel the electricity? And you're just like, I'm going to fucking murder this guy when he's sober again. <laughs> you're like, I, I feel an obligation to this person because I value human life and I don't want him to try to climb up to see if he can hear the electricity in the wires. Um, but I am not happy about this. Uh. Yeah, so Wait, I don't think he corrupts him. I think the guy comes in and I think he does what he says. It's it's just, but that's like the weirdest thing about this movie is like, if I take that reading, then I have to assume that like he got cleaned up and things keep working out for him. And the only no, thing that's, that's that what he did. Don't work out. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, so he says it, it worked out anyway with regards to every other problem in his life, yeah. but he's still got this going on. But he, this is like the one moment where some action that he took in a positive way actually affected like a future positive change for himself. Mm -hmm. So like, so you know, I don't see that as him returning to the status quo at the end of just having, again, the appearance of, of someone who is, I, I mean, I know Bill already mentioned that like, it's very strange that for instance, they entrust him with, you know, looking over the witness. But before that, like, his boss absolutely thinks he's competent. Like right, there but are he's, very few people who are wary of him until long into the film. Right, so but I, they I'm all should be. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying, do you guys think you don't see that as a reset? No, or, because or, excuse me. You see that as a new beginning for him. Absolutely. In the beginning of this movie, not everything post jump. He is a fucking wreck. He is awful to look at. He like mm -hmm. it's comical sure. that people trust him because no, sure. as Dom said, everyone in that room is standing up straight and he's crooked as a question mark looking like <laughs> the dancing grandpa from the Six Flags ads before the music kicks in. <laughs> Nosferatu but, back hunch too. Right. But in the in the latter portion after he's been made a you know ambivalent captain he he is at least putting on a very, very good front of being a normal person. So I think that he now desires that and that, that coming up against this person who he's saved, who's now been sober for a year, is is like the like I said, it's the one piece of action that he took that has now boomeranged back and actually had like a meaningful actual positive impact on his life because everything else he doesn't deserve but he deserves to have this man come and as he very overtly says you rescued me now i'm gonna rescue you mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I, I don't find that to be like a reset. I think that it's a step on the road. And I think as Bill said, like it feels as though, you know, there was like time mismanagement or it's, someone accidentally didn't buy enough film. But at the same time, it's just it's really it works because the whole movie is pitched at such an insane level yeah. that you can't say like the pacing really goes off at the end because no, admittedly the whole movie's pace, whatever the fuck Werner Herzog felt like that day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, I mean like yeah, another, I'm, I'm another curious. 15 minutes might've helped to sell it more, but I, I find that to be an ending of, of new beginnings. I'm curious how long y'all think Frankie was over at, uh, <laughs> McDonough's place before she became sober and decided that maybe that was that that was the time i guess maybe maybe getting a, a, a few too many glimpses at jennifer coolidge was just like yeah. okay yeah this is not going to end well for me um <laughs> i don't know about cocaine i know that like you you sober up and get clarity like usually within three days Mm-hmm. But then you got to stick with it because your first thought post clarity is, dear God, this is terrible. I need to get high again. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long that took, but he, he definitely seemed uh, uh, sideswiped by it, I guess uh, is a good yeah. phrase. Like he just shows up and he's like, all right, you want to get high? And she's like, um, we need to talk. And he's just like, what? <laughs> I'm going to bring her, her clothes. She's at rehab. She doesn't need clothes. She's at rehab already. you went from like trying to beat each other to death to now she's decided to get cleaned up all right whatever it's a Werner Herzog movie yeah exactly it's gotta happen (laughs) I think I'm kind of I I hate to uh, to ask the uh, the devil's advocate uh, as you were saying Brian is the bad lieutenant actually a good lieutenant but I I do I do no, think there's something. No, this is this is not. No, no, no. I, uh, I think he's a good lieutenant. I think he is a bad man. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think, I think it's weird because I, I feel like even when he's at his most aggressively racist, like I, I'm thinking of one of the first times he's speaking to Exhibit, and he's Why like, do "You say it uh, like that, Exhibit." All right. <laughs> Exhibit. Um, this is like how I, I will give a look into Slack. I, I got shit because I said uh, cashew instead of uh, or, or what did I say, Bill? I, cashew yeah, yeah. instead yeah, of cashew. Said cashew which God which bless is you. not a thing. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got I got murdered for it on there. Um, right. So. Anyway. I, anyway, what I was saying, though, is I, I think what's weird is like, you know, you think of some of those lines where he's just aggressively racist, racist, where like I'm thinking of one of the conversations with Exhibit where he's just like, oh, you just don't care about this case. And he's like, look at me, look at you. And it's like this outwardly racist moment that for some reason, like rings false to me in a way that some of his ways of of looking at people like which i guess you know maybe that gives more credence to what you're saying brian that he started as an okay person and this you know uh jumping in to help someone corrupted him well but like even even so much as like he he hates stevie like he fucking hates val kilmer's character yeah stevie's a piece of shit yeah and and at one point, Terrence like tells one of the witnesses, like, "Look, 
like or he tells i think it's stevie he's like look man you picked him up off of the street you made a big show of it he's fearing for his life because he knows that when he goes back people are just gonna assume that he talked to well, us. also he, so, he's like, telling lou that that chance he tells the duty chief or whoever like don't let him interrogate him right yeah <laughs> like he's a bad person for this so like yeah i think that Again, you know, he he might be a decentish lieutenant and a bad person, but like Val Kilmer is a bad l- sergeant or detective, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. um and a and a and a bad person as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't I guess in that sense I don't believe that he would have any motivation to. Uh, go clean at the end like everything worked out it was not because of his good actions it was from manipulating everyone like it but it's not even from manipulating everyone it's no but it, it's literally blind luck <laughs> i mean yes it's it's blind okay so even if you want to view it as blind luck i still don't understand why that would motivate him to get it now i'm just apparently fighting for my interpretation of so the, uh, i would well, i would say michael <laughs> that if if you're in that situation <clears throat> and he wakes up that day expecting to die um he wants like the world is finally going to crash around him and he has come to peace with it right because of course it is he's fucked everything up and 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 so the bookie comes in and says, like, you didn't watch the end of the game. Like, they won by three, which was within the spread. So whatever. I don't understand how gambling works. And <laughs> and so he said, oh, like, did did the guy finally play? And he says, no, it's just how it worked out. And he's like, oh, so it worked out anyway. So, like, his shitty behavior didn't help him. It was just luck. And at that point, certain people, perhaps, like a narcissist, would say, well, of course it did. The 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 universe bends to my whims. I'm Casey Anthony. I can lie about where I work and what I'm doing with my life, and everything's gonna work out fine. And you know, <laughs> but but this guy, Terrence McDonough, did not feel that way. He was constantly aware of the fact that all of his shit was about to collapse on him. And so I think he looks at that whole situation and goes, What are the odds that I'm just going to keep getting worse and I can pull this off again because I didn't even pull anything off. It was just happenstance. (laughs) I didn't will this into being. So of course he's going to get clean because if he needs blind luck to save him, then like the best thing he can do for himself is get some level of clarity moving forward. You know, the only reason that they solved the case is because he planted the, the, Mm -hmm. uh, the crack pipe. And, um, and I think that speaks to the lack of interest that Werner Herzog has in the case. Like I think for Herzog, the only thing that that case represents is that it was uh, unsolvable and that the only way that it got solved is because of his bad Lieutenant actions. Um, otherwise it doesn't really like, yeah, that the case doesn't matter. I think the fact that it only got solved because he skirted around the law and was in that way manipulative I think that's all that, that Herzog really cares about. Um, you know, I don't know if that really has anything to do with Herzog's belief in, in justice or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like the, the only, the only past luck, the only thing that, that worked in his advantage was planting evidence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and what's funny is that in most movies, 
that's like a moral choice that has to be made. And like, it's something that ha- like fucking Christopher Nolan made an entire movie based around how no sleep and knowing that you planted evidence will make you kill your partner before eventually shooting Robin Williams with a shotgun and then dying yourself. Um, all, all that, all that needs to be said here though, is like going back to, does this film actually have any interest in like in this murder itself and like even solving it or blah, blah, blah is because like, that's such a glaring like plot hole that exhibit sat there, watched him smoke from that crack pipe. So all he has to do is tell his lawyer, yo, we should get that thing DNA checked. And guess what? It's going to have his fucking DNA on you it. Think that he didn't... Landed it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like probably not. What? Um, <laughs> How does that fucking make sense? Oh, because they're the, they're the giving like the. I just don't think that the police are particularly <laughs> interested word, in no. following up on that. You um, saw the look on the chief's face. It would it would just have to be the lawyer saying my defense is saying that that crack pipe was planted. Here's how we prove that we test it for DNA with a third party here's and the, they find his, his DNA here's the issue with that bill is that I think that if you take up that line of defense, you open yourself to every other crime that then you have to admit to in order to get away with it. Um, <laughs> so which while is, I was bribing a cop and <laughs> right while I was bribing a cop and then killing three other people, <laughs> over a definitely felony amount of whatever white powder that was, we sure. then smoked again a felony <laughs> of crack cocaine. I mean, like, it's just at some point you just gotta like hold your nose and hope for the best. Like, they got it. Here's the thing is they got enough to get a dr- grand jury to maybe go to the, but we don't even know if like they're actually gonna get an indictment or a plea deal. Sure. You know, like, I, I assume right. that they're not, but they're just happy because they've got the case cleared. Mm hmm. Right. You know, Same. exhibit exhibits definitely just going to go to trial and just be like, uh, you got one crack pipe and a kid who ran away to the UK. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I can read you the uh, the definition of circumstantial if you'd really like. <laughs> <laughs> um, <but laughs> you yeah. could just be like, oh, someone found my lucky crack pipe. <laughs> That's where I was. <laughs> I smoke with them all the time. What are you talking about? Yeah, me and those Senegalese guys were all were really happy with each other. Um, before we wrap up, I just have to say that I found on IMDb Suicide Girls Guide to Living. Oh no! <laughs> it is directed by Mike Marshall, who has only made as a director Suicide Girls stuff, such as The First Tour, Italian Villa, UK Holiday, and Relaunch. Ooh. Italian the, Villa. <laughs> I mean, that's the one I'd be most interested in. Now, here's the problem, if you can even call it a problem. This this movie has a 5.8 rating, and I was like, please tell me that someone actually wrote a, a user yes. review for this, and they did. Oh, wonderful. It is an 8 out of 10. It says, a unique erotic gem, spelled poorly, incorrectly. Um, I won't how? read the rest how? of this. J-E-M. No. Yes. Oh, Fail. The leader of the holograms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, here's the thing. He talks about like the movie's fun. I, th- I assume it's a he. That might be gendered of me, but whatever. 
Um, now I would normally think this to be a tacky, uh, to be tacky and never think to watch it. But thanks to late night TV, I had no other choice but to tune in. <laughs> <laughs> So glad I did after watching this. I felt empowered and confident. Oh, maybe it's a woman. I don't know. To me, what helps this movie, whatever. But then, so I then become deeply interested in, I don't even know how to pronounce this person's username. And I click it and I find that they became a member in June of 2009, which is around when this movie was released. (sighs) And the only review that they've ever written on IMDb is for this movie. (gasps) Oh. Wow. So tune in next week <laughs> when I dig even deeper into this to try to figure out what the fuck is going on here. If you guys want to have me on for another classics where we talk about <laughs> girls got to, to life. Sure. You want, so you do want to I'm do sure guys to living. You don't want to do uh, on Tubi. Italian, Italian Villa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, between a Gaspar Noe film and this this looks a lot Sexier? less than C17 <laughs> I'm looking at the cover right okay. now <clears throat> Suicide Girls Italian Villa the IMDb plot summary is 25 suicide girls share a villa with quote sexy results end quote <laughs> 25 of them jeez why did they put like quotes lot. around sexy results <laughs> <laughs> that really makes me think that they're not that sexy or result oriented. <laughs> anyway, that is also directed by Mike Marshall. Um, so yeah, all of these girls have the last name of Suicide. That's interesting. Suicide. Yeah, I'm looking at that. What? A Kemi Suicide plays herself. Gogo Suicide plays herself. Kakeshi Suicide plays herself. Takeshi suicide. Wow. Kokeshi with a K. Oh, Kokeshi. I was going to say t- <laughs> Takeshi suicide. <laughs> Tiffany suicide. How many of these people have been in Tarantino movies? <laughs> Almost all of them. I well, I mean, this is this is the cast in uh, John Wick 3, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's all the telephone operators. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, okay, but that is what I think of when I think of the Suicide Girls. Yeah. Is I think of the telephone uh, operators yeah. from John Wick. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because some this of them are now their, well their into second, middle age. Yeah, this is their second heyday. They they, they got the call that uh, casting call is looking for uh, former su- or former Suicide Girls. I guess <laughs> I guess non suicide. Right? Did know. did you get sleeve tattoos as a twenty year old thinking your body would look like that forever? <laughs> Please reach out. We are looking for telephone operators. Um, I this I just is nineteen years old. What? This website was started in two thousand one. Suicide Girls. Are oh. you on Suicide Girls right now? I know. I'm on the wiki. You weirdo. Because <laughs> you went to DeviantArt last week. Um, <laughs> and I told you to stay on Safe Search. How annoyed would you be if you were a Suicide Girl and you were selected for UK Holiday and not Italian Villa? because cool. i can think of nothing more bleak than whatever the holiday season is and having to spend it in the uk where it's just like mm-hmm. extra misty <laughs> they love it because they're all goths oh you know? that's true right. yeah they get to Two wear their things. capes this in Portland. 
This started in Portland. So, Dom, congratulations. Hey, hometown. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nothing, okay. nothing but good stuff comes out of our... When we go on the yeah. Portland walking tour, we'll have to look for the original home of the Suicide Girls. <laughs> It'll be very dark. Thomas and Beverly's suicide here raised their family. <laughs> Guys, let me tell you the disturbing... <laughs> depressing origins of the word they had nothing but 30 daughters all all last names suicide <laughs> yeah suicide girl originally comes from czech palinik's certain novel survivor where the character talks about masturbating to the troubles of young girls uh, who look up to him oh no oh so i actually think i might have known that so the Seven. whole concept of the website is you can as an older gentleman jerk off to these clearly troubled women which is kind of what happens in this movie too like uh, connecting all the dots yeah yeah it's exactly like the girl that he 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 sexually assaults outside of the gator club or whatever it's called right 2001 was a time when uh uh, and i i learned this from from the preview uh the way they talk about suicide girls it's sort of like you know we're we're uh we we look how we want to look and we're different and we think that's sexy and we want to celebrate that and it's like 2001 is a time when if you had tattoos and piercings you were like not the typical sexy lady situation mm-hmm. it's so funny to, to look back and think like <laughs> yeah we it's, had sleep tattoos and so we're very different yeah yeah pretty much i mean it was it was right on that cusp of like the hot topic torrid Mm-hmm. you know vibe the 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 wave that would take over malls all across america and mm-hmm. that i'd have to waste fucking time in before we finally got to go in and sit down for our movie when i was in middle school <laughs> well, where else are you going to get your invaders m t-shirt from oh my god i know you know you can't buy a copy of johnny the homicidal maniac just anywhere <laughs> exactly all right let's 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 fucking fast forward like the end of this movie and let's <laughs> get the fuck out of here <laughs> So everything's fine now. Um, everything's great. Trump is no longer president. The wildfires have been put out, and the uh, the brush that they cleared actually revealed a deep deposit of gold. So everyone affected is now ostensibly rich, and um, we're here to say goodbye. So that's the end. Uh, does anyone actually? It's really de- it's depressing. I'm just like, saying. I'm still reading it, and I I don't like what I'm reading. It sounds don't not suicide, Michael. Michael. Oh my God, Michael. 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 I have a great idea. Yeah. I'm I'm no. not going to cut this out of the podcast. I'm just going to trust that everyone who hears this and also no. has their mind blown doesn't take no. it from us. You and me are together going to no. write and direct a movie. No. no. It's going to be called The Suicide Network. It's going to be like the social network, but instead of being about Facebook, it's going to be about suicide girls. I, I haven't thought about suicide girl. I vaguely knew. Why do I know about suicide girls now? I did not know about suicide girls to this extent. Okay. I was about to say you had to have known something about them. I I apparently saw the character Danny California on the TV show, Californication, because I have somehow seen like, five seasons of that show because i must hate myself she's she was she was the assistant to the agent right yes yeah i hate that you know that Uh, i also have watched that show (laughs) this was also eight days before september 11th so uh (laughs) well look if there was ever a time when a when a when a website full of cheesecake was it cheesecake or was it hardcore i never actually looked at it 
Uh, no, you're talking about softcore and hardcore. No, no, because so- no, because like cheesecake is like pinup stuff. You know, yes. like oh, I thought cheesecake. I've was never just heard of that like, phrase before. Really? You've never heard of cheesecake? It's like beefcake oh. and cheesecake. Yeah, no, I mean no. like oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, were they like you know wearing underwear and like holding a bag of groceries or something, or were they like? <laughs> Have you like, okay? There is a topless woman on Wikipedia somehow. I, I'm not sure how that got through the censors, but maybe they're like, anyone no, that's, who's looking that's at the okay. Suicide Girls wiki knows what Suicide Girls <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so here's the thing, though, is that American Graffiti, right? That's a movie that takes place in 1962, apparently, but it was released in 73. So we're totally within our rights to make a nostalgic look back at American online pornography culture that starts in 2001. Do you feel equipped to do that? Actually, don't answer that. (laughs) I once spent seven months interviewing um, strippers at a very seedy strip club in Baltimore. So I feel like I'm actually perfectly (laughs) set up to at least be part of this. Listen to the Hustlers episode. To, that's actually super interesting. Yeah. Brian's experience with that. So he talked about that on the Hustlers episode. Yep. If listeners want to hear more about that. Yes, but but <laughs> we have to finish this episode. Yeah, and I'm, I'm done. Before yes. we can uh, refer patrons back to that episode. I um, so I gotta. Get we do have to get the fuck out of here. I am very hungry. Um, I was gonna say something. Yeah, Michael, uh, utilizing um my corporate lingo let's offline this conversation and circle back to it um <laughs> no 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 circling back <laughs> i'm just start gonna start research just just go visit the website look around you know. just constantly sending michael <laughs> screenshots of suicide girls <laughs> no. it's gonna be awesome all right so that's it uh port of port of call bad new orleans <laughs> Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Um, As we said, presently available to watch on possibly literally every website. Except Suicide Girl. I was going to say Suicide Girls, maybe. I mean, you go to Suicide Girls, you type in Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. I don't even know if they have a search function. At this point, I should have just brought up the website, but I'm I'm really scared to do it now. Um, (laughs) Your daughter's going to come in right now. I'm going to get served such weird fucking ads tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, if you would like to fund oh, Michael and I uh, as we no. make our <laughs> social network riff about uh, the founding and uh, the highs and lows of the Suicide Girls, go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. Aren't uh, there only lows? I have no idea. That's the thing. They were popular for a bit, but even oh, maybe I'm, that I'm, was just I'm, the. I'm making the joke. I'm making about like being suicidal. Yes. Eh. Uh. <laughs> 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 That's about right. That's almost. <clears throat> that was a perfect reaction to that, actually. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Um, don't forget to go to mubi.com/filmstage for a free 30-day trial of movie where you can check out their new Taiwanese cinema series. Again, that is mubi.com slash film stage. Um, Dom? When is put up Italian Villa? Wait, what was that? <laughs> when is Mubi going to put up Italian Villa? That's a great question. Uh, that might be in their library <laughs> section. <laughs> yeah. Catalog. How far away are we from like 
trying to reclaim like shitty soft core stuff as like a kind of vulgar no, I mean, auteur. Stuff, like, I mean, there's interesting stuff coming through things like Vinegar Syndrome yeah, um, yeah. and some other some other distributors, and it, some of it's good and some of it's bad, and right, like, you know. Something's really interesting. The buy and and Nicholas Winding Refn thing, and, and that was on that was mm-hmm. on movie, and they had a bunch of yes. the uh, the kind of old, old weird kinkster stuff. So give it another four years. Like Fester and uh, yeah, I saw a film called Score actually on uh, movie last year, and that was that was excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it does. I don't know. This is a conversation for another time. Kyle Turner has written a lot about this. So our, actually at Paste. So yep. if you're curious about some of that. Well, our next episode will be on one of the Suicide Girls movies. So don't worry about that. Um, we will make sure to not have a woman on. So it'll be just as tasteful as you believe that that conversation would be. Well, if it's, if it's about Italian Villa, I am Italian. So I think. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. <laughs> I'm partially Italian as well. And I have been suicidal in the past. So really, I've got like two out of three. <laughs> Mamma mia. <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go. All I gotta say is that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> what, what if it's just like two hours of them making pizza top? <laughs> Wait a second. I would dig that. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. A bunch of tattooed women topless making pizza? As long as they actually like give the recipe. Oh, no. Ryan, I I have a uh, please no, a, 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 a place that you can go to called Naked Bakers. <laughs> what? No, I'm sorry. I I should say I don't actually want them to be fully naked. That seems very unhygienic. Well, make a yeah, insert yeast joke here. Please, God damn it, Michael! Oh. Fuck! Ooh. Everyone was thinking it. No one really needed to say it. This is the worst episode we've ever done just because of that joke (laughs) Michael you ruined it (laughs) I am furious at us and also I'm so happy that Michael's the person who books talent for this because you get to explain that to anyone who might have issues with it the one saving grace is that hopefully most respectable people stopped listening 40 minutes ago (laughs) anyway uh, so let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time uh, Dom, mm-hmm. how, um, where, where can people find your shit online while you're still doing stuff? <laughs> uh, yeah, all my writing's over at Paste. Um, there's uh, a lot of years of writing there. Um, but uh, uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, S-I-N-A-C-O-L-A-D, just my last name plus my first initial. Um, other than that, I'm heading back to citizen life, so I have nothing else to plug, you know? <laughs> So what's the first thing you're going to do when you get back to the world? <laughs> um, well, uh, I actually, you know what? I should also plug, uh, I have a movie that got pushed to next year. It's about my team of uh, elite racers. You know, they're actually, they work for me, but they're kind of my employees, but they're also like my family. And so uh, we, you know, we participate in um, sort of international heists. We kind of work with the government sometimes. Um, uh, but uh you know, you go into space next. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't want to give away too much, but we do go to space <laughs> next. Um, and uh, we are sponsored by Corona. So I should probably mention Corona. Good beer. Uh, you should drink, drink it. it with it's your family. family. Drink family, it with your family. 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 Uh, family. Nas. 
fucking they got a tank. I can't. I don't know. Ludacris Detroit is, muscle, baby. Ludacris is surprisingly charismatic in those movies. Yes, exactly. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw was a bit of a misfire. It was. <laughs> my best friend, Ludacris. Yeah, he's on my team. He's considered family. Um, can you get Tyrese taken out of the How can you say that about Tyrese? Tyrese? Tyrese is, is so fucking annoying. But that's Ugh. what family is about. You know, you gotta take he's them. The ner- he's the nerdy younger brother, which is weird because he's fucking Tyrese. <laughs> <laughs> and the same age as everyone else. If not younger, probably like Vin. Vin, Vin I almost said Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> Vin Diesel's gotta <laughs> be not? like over forty now, right? Yeah, Vincent Diesel's like sixty-five years old. Vincent That's when you know he's gonna be that he like when he crests like fifty-five, he's gonna start going by Vincent Diesel. <laughs> we'll never know because he won't go gray. So, no, that's true. Oh, that's right. That's right. <sighs> He's fifty-three years man. fucking old. Yeah. Wow. There's a reason he doesn't take his shirt off anymore. Probably. He just wears tank tops. Yeah, because he's he's, he's like I've done the work. I've done the work. <laughs> he's got yeah. three children. Good for him. Anyway, um. <sighs> What was I? What are we? What are we doing? Thanks, thanks for having me on the show, guys. You're so welcome. <laughs> thanks for being here. This has been an incredible thing. I'm so glad that you were able to roll with the numerous weird punches that we've done. Uh, Bill Graham, where can people find you between now and the next time? You can find me shopping for Italian villas on uh, Instagram at Billstagram, and also. Um, on Twitter at CableBFG and definitely mixing it up on uh, the Slack channel now. I'm back, baby. Now, Bill, I just want to be, you know that most Italian villas don't come with suicide girls. Oh, well, it should say that on the brochures. Yeah, no, at the open house, they'll they'll tell you whether or not the suicide okay. girls come with well, it. Well, I, I do have to wake up before the break of dawn, baby. So, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Snydell. I, yes, I did look up what Don was just to make sure I was saying that contextually right. Okay, good. <laughs> Michael Snydell. Uh, yeah, before I get canceled, I, I want to say I'm not clutching my pearls about uh, women doing pornography. I am clutching my pearls about the suicide girls still being something that exists and seems deeply unethical in not allowing the uh, the actors to work for any other companies which seems super fucked oh, oh wow. uh, so they're yeah. like an old school yeah, hollywood system kind of thing kind of yeah they have to legally change like. their name to suicide <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am also like some com- some kind of China shit where they have to send like money all back or something. There's a guy. There's just a guy who works in the back in the mailroom, and his name is like Anthony Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, I had to change it too, but you know the health insurance is pretty good, so. <laughs> it's the Bennies, man, I do it for that the Bennies. Doesn't come with life insurance though. Suicide Girls is an adult Ooh. lifestyle brand that redefines beauty with our unique pinup girls and active, smart online community. Hmm. Anyway, um, Michael, did you finish? or we... <laughs> um, Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Snido on Letterboxd. I don't know. I'm kind of being ghosted by two PR people for reviews that are supposed to come out uh, like this week. So I don't know yeah. if those are going to happen, but I will update on Twitter 
um, something tells me they don't think either of them are good. So we'll mm. see what happens with that. <laughs> They're actively angry that you keep asking for screeners. Yeah, yes. How <laughs> dare me? <laughs> oh, God. All right. As for me, what is left to say? about brian j rowan um you can find my personal site at brianjrowan.com all of my stuff is on the social medias at brian j rowan that's instagram facebook twitter whatever the fuck and uh, of course you can find this uh podcast every episode we've ever done over at thefilmstage.com where my review of the tax collector is still up (laughs) oh what a bad movie I you know it's not great but I I find it to be interesting even though again it is it is a thing um <laughs> you know actually now that I think about it there's like a little crossover that I am not going to get into because we've been talking for two and a half hours and I am so so tired <laughs> um because I work at a distillery schmidtspirits.com if you're in the area come by grab a bottle um that is it for today send Mike- that marmalade baby <laughs> yes, yes send the marmalade Michael Snyder, what are we talking about next week? Um, I mean, maybe Antonio Campos is the devil all the time, but I also heard it had a graphic dog death. So part of me is like, do we bring, did the dog die back? But also, I <laughs> No, we can't know. do that for an episode when we know the dog dies. That's fucking rude. Should have done that no, for I, this movie. That would have been amazing. Yeah. But that's what I was saying is like knowing there's a graphic dog death also makes me not want to support it in that's general. Like so, how yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of movies out right now that are just kinda like, eh, I don't know if I need that in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna do that or not. But well, graphic dog how about how about this cuties thing? I, I hear that's blowing. Bill, up. that's literally what I was just talking about. Oh god. <laughs> A, don't want to watch it. B, there's no way to come out of that without someone threatening to murder me. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just not happening. Um, so no. I know a really controversial movie. Uh, have you guys seen the movie uh, Joker? Have you talked about that movie? Joker? I feel like we did, but I can't remember. <laughs> Heard it's pretty controversial. I don't know, just a suggestion. The most twisted, controversial, blah, 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 oh, blah. To, to go see things in theaters again. Oh, boy. <laughs> I um, I just, my favorite part of that whole podcast was when I was like, you could feel the air go out of the media when they realized there wasn't going to be a shooting in a theater. Mm. <laughs> and then I made everyone guess about the specific writer that I was talking about. And it only right. took like two guesses. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, so yeah, check out our Hustlers episode to hear about strip clubs and uh, listen to our Joker episode to hear me make a very inside baseball joke that I then bleep out so that I didn't get people angry at me. Um, that's it for today. Follow us on Twitter that's at Film Stage Show and we'll uh, we'll tell you there what we plan on talking about. Maybe it'll be another classic <laughs> episode. Maybe it really will be Suicide Girls Italian Villa. And, and it, or it, will, it will not be... <sighs> you could be Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>